This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by Alex Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. A lot of me in the host chair today, Alex. Uh, people that were listening that. to PU or listening to me now. Uh, those emailers that email in Matt and say that they can't stand my voice and don't want to hear me and all that stuff. They, they're out of luck today. I Rough week for it. them. They are rough times for them. Uh, you got my voice hosting the show, facilitating, uh, leading the charge for, for almost four hours. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? I'm not going to swear today. I haven't. I didn't swear on PU. I'm not going to swear on this show. Yeah, that guy's kids listening, Evan. Come on. That's true. I, I I really feel bad about that now. That I do. I Somebody called did. in on, on Unfiltered and said that he turns the show on with his kid in the car. So. Yeah, because he knows that we won't swear, which we we really don't. I mean, look, at SHIT, I'm not going to say it because I said I'm not going to swear. Is that, you know, we're, we're talking about low-level squares here, right? Like, that's not a that's not an egregious, that's not a federal crime. So we're, we're good. We're good in that respect. But uh, not going to swear today. Uh, we are 20 days exactly today, 20 days from the start of Patriots training camp. It's Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots catch 22. We're going to do some roster projection breakdowns. Both Alex and I have roster projections up on our respective websites that you can check out. And so we're going to kind of go back and forth on some of the differences, some of the similarities, break down the roster. We're also going to, we got to get our AFC East previews in. We, we forgot last week we got on, on the Jawan Bentley, Devonte Parker extension uh, train and, and sort of forgot uh, to talk about the Jets. So we'll talk about the Jets. We'll talk about the Bills. Alex, you should have fun with that, talking about the Bills. Oh, yeah. Everybody's Super Bowl favorite, Buffalo Bills. But I, I want to uh, start with a, a few little things, a few, few little notes, if you will. Uh, 20 days, as I mentioned, at training camp. And I don't know about you, Alex, but I've, I'm starting to itch a little bit. I'm starting to, to to gear back up, starting to get ready for the start of the, of the season and, and talking – Training camp, which is my favorite time of the year uh, in the NFL calendar by far, because uh, we get to actually watch practice every day and, and break down practice and discuss things that we're seeing and things like that. And that's that's always my favorite part of the year. But uh, are you getting the itch a little bit? Are you getting ready? Or are you still enjoying the? You're 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 off doing all sorts of things this summer. You're golfing. You're you're on the beach. Like I, I don't know. I'm not as adventurous as you. It's weird. Normally, there's an adventurous. Those are the only two things: golf and beach. I, I went for a hike yesterday. <laughs> yeah, First time no, in years I wow. went for a hike. Wow, I'm surprised that you can even walk after. I I was like I got to the end and it was not a strenuous hike at all. But I got to the end. I'm like, wow, I'm not gassed. People, I was just like, yeah, well, yeah, we didn't really do anything. And I was like, no, but I'm like out of shape. Yeah, I've been doing uh, doing the Peloton a little bit there you go. recently, trying to trying to get back on the whole exercise uh, gambit and. Uh, I can only do like the the twenty minute beginner rides right now, and that those are the one they don't you don't get out of the seat yet, right? Like you know, so like just does the ones where you like actually stand up and and pedal, right? And that that's supposed to add like tension and add you know calorie burn to the workout. I'm still I'm still in the saddle, as they say. I can't I can't do it. And after the end of twenty minutes, I literally have to lie down, like all completely on the floor, uh, so I don't throw up. So it's it's been going really well. Uh, but you're you're ad- so, adventurous all over the place. You're it, doing all these things. It is just kind of weird because normally this year there's nothing. Yeah, I feel like there's no storyline. I feel like we actually have 
some storylines right now carrying us through this more than most years. Obviously, the main one being DeAndre Hopkins. Like, that's still right. an ongoing thing. It's not, are you excited for training camp? I'm more in the mindset of, are we going to get to see DeAndre Hopkins at Patriots training camp? Right. So that's been an interesting wrinkle to it. But yeah, you know, usually after the 4th of July is when I kind of start to get that itch. And that, yeah. I don't, you're on threads. Like, I went on threads last night you, so, for the first time. So you you just threaded about the show. I, I did thread about the show. Is it threaded I, or welcome thread? to the page right. Welcome to the Patriots, by the way. I saw they uh, signed up this yeah, morning. Yeah, no, no threads yet. No threads but, yet. But there's um, talk upstairs of what the first thread is So I threaded be. that last night. What will the Patriots' first thread be? Right. So the cool thing about threads, not to get yeah. you know, two millennials talking about social media shocker, but the cool thing about threads is that it's connected to Instagram, right? So we already own at Patriots because we own at Patriots yeah. on Instagram. So there's so that, that already carries over. So nobody, even before uh, our social media team activated a thread account, there was no way anybody could have stole at Patriots anyways, which I think is is kind of cool. But uh, speaking for two people, just quickly on the whole social media thing, because it is Ju- July 6th and we have some time to yeah. talk about this nonsense. Uh, I basically built my career on Twitter, like literally built my career on Twitter. So if Twitter goes away, uh, I'm going to be pretty upset about it. Like that, that was a big, big part of me getting to where I am, me being where I am and sharing my stuff and uh, sharing my opinions on things like instant opinions. Uh, that's, that's been my livelihood for like five years is yeah. tweeting and same being on that platform. So uh, if it disappears, then we're all, we're all S out of luck. Well, then, gonna... then follow us on, on threads. I just picked threads. up a couple. So if that's people listening, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was like, because when we both started this, you had, what, like six, 7,000 followers on Twitter, yeah. and I had like 200, and I was never realistically going to catch you. But now, like, we're both starting fresh, and I have a platform now, and I was like, oh, I'm going to catch Evan. And I was like 40 <laughs> behind you most of the day. I just looked. I'm 60 behind you. So Could you imagine, like, just obviously, I know you feel it the same way, but like, just speaking for myself, I I built up my following on Twitter yeah. to over 60,000 people follow me, which is amazing. Like I still, right. that still blows my mind and that's awesome. And now th- this app that I like basically monetized into my career is just going to poof gone. <laughs> like, right. So I'm stressed out about it. Not going to lie. Like I really hope that they figure this out and Elon figures it out. Um, thank so, God I'm, I'm in a good spot now with my career being here working for the Patriots that, I don't nearly have to worry about it nearly as much as I did before, but it's it's a little bit upsetting. But a- anyway, as I was saying, like so, normally after the Fourth of July is when I kind of get there, and I went on Threads last night, and it it it's not just who you follow that you see. It uses like like it comes up with things you might want to yeah. see, and one of the first accounts I followed because I I happen to see they joined Threads. That's when I signed up. Was clicking their link is this account called the Sickos Committee, which is. <laughs> A bunch of of diehard college football fans. So my whole thread was just college football stuff. And then I started watching the hype videos on YouTube because those are starting to get posted now. So now I'm ready to go. And that also reminded me, you had homework last week. I'm going to guess you didn't do it. Of course not. Okay, that sucks. I I took some time off around the 4th. Well, I mean, you know, got to take it when you can. But anyways, I I, I don't hate threads. Like, I think it's got some potential. It's not great. It's not Twitter. Uh, it's not as clean as Twitter, in my opinion. It's, I don't know, something about the the platform just doesn't. Well, look you got to remember, it's still like the first version. They're going to build yeah. it up, so I saw they are going to add like just a following. 
tapped. Yeah, they gotta do that. Yeah, that's one of the first things you're gonna do. But they need it like this because otherwise you can't really find. Be- There's no trending yet. You're right. Because you need a certain number of people to be on there for there to be trending. So they'll sure. they'll get there. I think they know what they need to do. All right. So there's your social media five minutes on on the death of Twitter, uh, which is seems imminent at this point. If the uh, the same CEO or actually I guess he's not technically the CEO, the same owner of the company is is still in place in Elon Musk. But we want to talk roster projection. The little bit of news that I did want to get to here off the top of the show, Alex, uh, not DeAndre Hopkins tweeting that he had some bad clam chowder in Boston that made him sick. That's not great, Alex. Did you see what else he tweeted, though? About I, Did he say it made him sick? I just he thought he said, said he had He said that it had pork in it. I'm guessing it had, like, bacon bits or something like yeah. that. And he's he doesn't eat pork. It, it didn't make him sick. Yeah, he, he tweeted the throwing up emoji. That, maybe that just means he doesn't like pork. I think it means that he he doesn't feel well. All right. Well, he also tweeted, this was an hour ago, I'll retire from football when I'm not a 1,000-yard receiver. With that said, I was on pace for 1,400 yards last year, one significant injury in 11 years. I might be playing till I'm 37 the way I feel. I hope so. That's a guy that, in, that I hope it's thinks in he's in shape. Yep. I hope it's in New England. So the one thing I'll say about DeAndre Hopkins, like resetting our opinions on that for the 17th time, it feels like at this point, I, I mentioned this to you off the air. I, I watched a, a Bill, Bill O'Brien coaching clinic uh, yesterday yep. with my, my afternoon. Uh, it's great. It's only like an hour. Uh, you, you can sit down. You can watch it. And he breaks down some of his like core empty concepts, right? Like Hosjuke, like things like that. His five wide empty stuff, which is like vintage O'Brien, but also he's got one of the best empty packages in, in football at any level. Like people right. copy it. Um, it's awesome stuff. Anyways, he would talk about, and he mentioned, you know, D-Hop, obviously in Houston. Uh, he mentioned Gronkowski uh, with the Patriots, and he talked about how the different spots in in the formation, like what they, what kind of player they would aim to put in those spots, right? So, like, for example, in Hosjuke, the juke route, right, the little inside right. route, the number three spot, obviously your quickest guy is going to go there, right? The Edelmans, the Welkers, like those types of guys, they're going to go in the middle of the field. But then he also mentioned the uh, the seam route, right? And that route, he said you need a playmaker in that spot. You need a quick guy in the number three spot. You need a playmaker in the number two spot. And he specifically mentioned number two weak, meaning the two receiver side, the weak side of the formation, having a playmaker in the seam there because of how it tilts the coverage and how if you get the right matchup pre-snap you can basically just pre-meditate that you're going to go there with the football and and take a shot up the seam and give your guy a chance so the guy that he said with new england was obviously grunk the guy he said in houston was deandre hopkins so with this patriots offense we come back to the same thing it's like who's the playmaker Right, like who's the star that you're surrounding? All the other pieces are putting around it. Like you can find, yeah. You know, he mentioned in Houston they had Kiki Kutu, right? Who they liked a little bit. Kiki Kate, Kato, Kate, Kiki Kate. Sure. Uh, they they mentioned that he, they liked him a little bit. He was like sort of that quick, shifty slot guy, right? Yeah. Uh, he had the, you know those types of guys that he mentioned, like a, you know a Slade Bolden or Mechie in Alabama, that were like sort of those quick little quick twitch guys. Then he. But he mentioned that the guy that really stirred the drink, the guy that really controlled the entire field, was that playmaker spot, which 
again, we come back to, I think the Patriots can find a guy to run the juke route. I think they can find a guy to run the hitches on the outside that really are more about spacing than anything, right? It's not necessarily where the, the read is designed to go. Who's the guy that's going to control the playmaking spot? And I still, in my head, when I'm kind of thinking about it from a Patriots lens, who is it? Right. Like, who is it? You know, Gasecki, I think, can run the seam. I think he's a good seam yeah. runner, but he's really not like the tilt the coverage seam runner. Right. And he's not the guy that you're you're putting that emphasis on of, of that. You're a true playmaker in the offense. I sat there and I, I listened to this whole thing for about an hour and I thought to myself, listening to all this, there's just no way that Bill O'Brien's like in the hallway downstairs or across the hall from us right now, not clamoring for somebody like DeAndre Hopkins to walk through the door, right? Because that's how you build out the whole system. Like that's how you build out the whole passing offense is by having that, that chess piece, that, that queen that you can move around. That is this like gravitational force. And I don't know if Hopkins, you know, he mentioned that he was on that 1400 yard pace. He's not the same guy that he was in Houston when O'Brien was there, Uh, but he's still a thousand yard receiver in the league. He's still that player. Uh, Hopefully the, the clam chatter with bacon bits didn't ruin everything. (laughs) Um, But that's sort of my DeAndre Hopkins reset and, and kind of pushing that to the next step too. We did get Devontae Parker's, the uh, logistics, the details of Devontae Parker's contract today. And it does create a little bit of cap space, but that's... 2.4 million, I think it was. That's not really what I'm more interested in. I guess what I'm more interested in is that it essentially guarantees that he's going to be on the team for the next two years. His base salaries, both this year and next year, are now guaranteed fully. Right. So they could cut him next year or they could trade him next year they could he's, he's an easily movable trade piece next year still uh cutting him w- would have some dead cap ramifications now it wouldn't be the end of the world it wouldn't be like they would you know be super up against it and couldn't spend any money uh but typically speaking when you carry a three million dollar base salary into a season uh, on a football team you're you're not going anywhere typically so uh what are your thoughts on on that sort of side of things and and how this all fits together moving forward. I think they didn't want to have to totally reset their wide receiver room next year. Like like that to me, and we've discussed at this point how it's independent of anything with Hopkins. Yeah. You had, you had Kendrick Moore's in a contract year. Park was in a contract year. Still don't know what Tyquan Thornton is. So that just left Juju Smith-Schuster as the only, you know, regular contributing wide receiver under contract beyond the 2023 season. And I think the idea was that they didn't want to have to rebuild that whole room in one year. Yeah. Now that you've got Parker extended and if he's willing to take a team friendly deal, you do it now. Cause what happens if he goes off? What happens if he has a great season and then, you know, it becomes a totally different conversation. So they saw a chance. They probably feel like he can be a feature. Now you have, all right, you have Juju Smith Schuster, you have Devonte Parker. That's a good start. And I think wide receiver is going to be a big need for them in the draft next year, one way or the other Hopkins or not. But you have a couple pieces where you don't... We saw it with tackles this year, right? They essentially needed to rebuild their whole tackle room. And you can't... Especially a position like that, a big money position like that, you can't rebuild the whole room in one offseason. I don't care how much cap space you have, how many picks you have. That's just a... It's a really hard ask. That's what it is. It's a really hard ask. Now they have at least some pieces in place where they're still going to need to improve their wide receivers next year. But 
the sheer number of additions they'll need to make decreases. Yeah, I I think that that's a good summation of it. I I I I, th- I sort of am less worried now after maybe revisiting some things yesterday in terms of the film of, of Devonte Parker and DeAndre Hopkins coexisting on the field together. I think that that fits a little bit better than I maybe initially thought. What I would be interested in is if you're paying DeAndre Hopkins, you have to assume you're paying him over $10 million, right? And you're already... I would think 10 is probably the basement, like a flat 10. And then you're paying Juju a a decent amount of money. And you guaranteed Devontae Parker's salary. Now, it's it's not an exuberant amount of money. But the point I'm getting at is, like, who's the odd man out in two wide receiver packages, right? If they go 12 personnel a ton on first and second down, it's probably Devontae Parker still. But... I, I think that, that that element would have to be worked out a little bit, but I do think that there's more flexibility with Hopkins' game than maybe I initially thought, that he doesn't need to be glued to the boundary, right? They, they can still leave Devontae Parker as, like, the true boundary receiver or outside receiver in this offense, and I do think Hopkins has a little bit more versatility to move around the formation. So I, I ultimately I think that that's a non-concern at this point. I have confidence that Bill O'Brien will figure out where to put everybody and how to get everybody on the field and how to utilize everyone. There is still a little bit of like skill set overlap that I don't love. Like I do think you're a little slow at the receiver position and a little uh, contested target heavy with that group. Uh, but I think from a alignment standpoint or a formation standpoint, like they'll figure all that stuff out. I don't, I don't wouldn't oh, like get too bogged down in that. The other thing that I wanted to mention with just the Jawan Bentley reset here. I've heard this a little bit, and I, I just have a take on it slightly about – I know that Bedard is, like, the big one that's on this, but some of your sta- your station, Alex, uh, they they picked up, <laughs> okay. uh, up, up the Bedard takes, right? Oh, boy, where's this going? So I hear a lot of, like, well, they didn't – they had to re-sign Jawan Bentley to this contract because they have no linebackers in the pipeline to replace Jawan Bentley. And I guess my pushback on that is – at some point, they have to commit to some guys, right? And they have to have, like, a core group of players. And I understand that Jawan Bentley is a specific type of linebacker. He's a throwback, sledgehammer, downhill thumper. He is not Fred Warner. He's not an athletic, coverage, rangy, three-down guy, right? That's right. just not who he is. But at the same time, I think he's really, really, really good at what they want him to do or what they ask him to do in this defense. I think he's a captain. I think he's a leadership, you know, kind of intangible style guy. And at some point, with 33 veterans under contract, that's all they have next year. Yeah. They have 17 rookies in this year with the five UDFAs, and they have 33 veterans under contract. They have a bunch of guys that are UFAs, you know, unrestricted free agents next offseason. At some point, don't you have to start building a core and like setting down some some foundational pillar pieces? And not all of those pieces are going to be all pro caliber players, right? Like not all of them are going to be Matthew Judon's and uh, you know that type of level of player. But you have to have some culture guys. You have to have some locker room guys. You have to have some glue guys. And I look at Juwan Bentley as one of those guys. I think that he's really. Un- understands his role, understands the defense inside and out, and maybe most importantly, like understands the culture and fits the culture of the team. And I think at that point, you have to start locking in some of those types of guys. And this like notion that it would have been better to 
draft and replace Jawan Bentley than pay Jawan Bentley. It's like you can't draft and replace everybody every four years, right? Like I know in some positions maybe that's the best way to go, like running back. I'm I'm always on right. that. You know, just draft and replace, draft and replace. But at some point you have to have some guys that have been Patriots for longer than two minutes, right? I mean, there's only what, like six or seven guys on the team now who won a Super Bowl here, and Bentley yeah. is sort of one of them. He was on the team that year. He was hurt, but he was, you know, in the building for it. Yeah, he's a culture guy. I think you talk. You mentioned the communication when you lose a guy like Devin McCourty. The communication on the defensive side of the ball is very important, and it's it's not like they overextended themselves to get him. Yeah, you know if they'd given him if they'd paid him like one of the top linebackers in the league, one of these like three down guys, I'd be like, all right, eh, that's a little much. But four and a half million a year, I think, is what it came out to guaranteed. Right, that's an easy deal to take for yeah. a player of Bentley's caliber. Easy deal to take. Yeah, I think he's an underrated player. I, I think that because of his style of play, people think that he's a sort of his type of player has has aged out of football, right? Like that it's it's yeah. it's a dinosaur type of role. But I think he's a really underrated player. I think he's gotten better in in space and in coverage than he was at the beginning of his career. Maybe not athletically, but instinctually to make up for the fact that he's not the best athlete or the fastest guy or the most nimble guy. Now he's a, he's been better at being a little bit like a step ahead of things, right? Because of his anticipation and his mental uh, aspect of the game. So I really like the Bentley contract. I, I really think that that's the type of guy that you want to keep around and you want to have be one of the captains of this team. I think he's going to be a, tw- a captain this year, honestly. I would. I mean, he was a captain last year. Why wouldn't he be? Was he ca- so? I couldn't remember. There was so a he year, was a there captain. Was a gap, he right? was a captain in 2020 because Hightower opted out. Right, right, right. And then he wasn't a captain in 21 because Hightower came back. Yeah. And then he was a captain last year because Hightower was unofficially, unofficially retired. Can I call him that? I think he's retired. No, he's retired now, but I'm saying like he wasn't retired last year, but he wasn't here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, that's sort of your reset of where things stand in Patriot land. Not much going on. We're 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 in the dead period of the off season for the most part, uh, but we're we're still got a few things there to to touch on. And you can join in at eight five five Pats five hundred. Uh, email webradio at patriots dot com. Uh, we're gonna get into the roster projection uh, part of the show here and try to rifle through. Our, both of our roster projections. Alex, are you ready? You got yours yours up? And, yeah, I'll pull it up. All right, you're going to pull yours up, and I'm going to do the easiest one right off the bat, which is quarterback. Uh, two quarterbacks here, uh, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. I have Trace McSorley getting cut and probably retained on the practice squad, and I do not currently have Malik Cunningham with the quarterback. So those are my three quarterbacks right now, Jones and Zappi on the roster. Uh, McSorley, the, the cut but also coming back on the practice squad most likely. And I have a bigger, I think with the quarterbacks, and I I don't know, I'm sure you had it the same way. With the quarterbacks, uh, the main thing that we have to look at, it it's a big picture conversation with the quarterback position. It's not about roster cuts and and who's going to make the team. We know the two guys that are going to make the team. It's about the big picture conversation with this position. And I think this is currently right now is the hardest, but the biggest sticking point with the entire Patriots team, and I'm not—I really don't feel like I'm overstating it. I know that that sounds like hyperbole, hyperbolic, right? You can just say hyperbole. I know that sounds like hyperbole. It either sounds like hyperbole say. or it sounds hyperbolic. It's—it sounds. I think hyperbole is easier to say. Don't yeah, you? yeah. So I know it sounds like hyperbole, but I really think that this is a, a true crossroads for this organization. You have to make a decision on Mac Jones in many ways. Yeah, and the main one in my mind is that you need to decide 
is Mac Jones a truck or is he a trailer? Is he pulling the wagon or is he riding the wagon? And separate aside from all the contract stuff, which we could also get into and is, is also part of the big picture here, you if you decide that Mac Jones is more of along for the ride than he is leading the charge, then you need to change how you your whole philosophy of team building. You you're right. you we've talked about this ad nauseum. You need to become the San Francisco 49ers, right? Where you're just you're paying everybody else. You're paying all the 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 2020 draft picks, Josh Uche, Kyle Duggar, Mike Onwenu. You're s- signing DeAndre Hopkins. Next offseason, you're trading making a wide receiver trade. You're making a a move at, you know, all the positions at on offense to load up and have all sorts of firepower and maximize having a good, not great quarterback. And maybe you take that good, you know, let's say Max, the 16th best quarterback in the league. Maybe he's the 10th best quarterback in the league. If he's got all these weapons to throw to, and that's how you have to build it. Or you need Mac to elevate his game to the point where he's the captain and he's driving the ship. So I think the bigger question is, is, is that in him? Is Mac Jones capable of doing that? And is the team capable of changing their philosophy? Or are we looking at a scenario where after year three, we're talking about moving on from Mac Jones because they want to build the roster a certain way and they want to spend in a certain way, which means that you have to go chase the Golden Goose, right? You have to go chase the Josh Allen, the Patrick Mahomes. You can't sit here in purgatory. And I think that's honestly the bigger than any of the other like who's the fifth receiver and who's going to be you know the running back depth and like all these other sort of camp battles and roster conversations we're going to have over the next couple months Uh, that's the biggest thing with this team right now is what do they have in mac jones and what is their direction with mac jones at the quarterback position well the other thing within all of that is we're not going to know that in camp we're not going to know that this spring i mean that's that's a December, January conversation. I will say this though, and, and I think it even it's even simpler than what you said. They may be okay with Mac Jones being just a guy who's here, a guy who doesn't win them games but doesn't lose them games. They may right. be okay with that. Yeah, they'll need to make some adjustments. It's that fifth year option. Yeah, are you committing to Mac Jones long term or not? I think even even beyond just are you going to change the way you build around him? And I know we do this every year, and you yell at me for this, but because of the way the NIL stuff works and there's kind of a fluke thing coming up this year's quarterback class is loaded there is nobody in the 2025 class now you'll tell me well sometimes guys go back to school and there'll be guys there in 2025 why are they going back to school because they weren't good nobody's good and goes back to school but counterpoint one couldn't they say oh well like Caleb Williams is going number one overall in this draft and no one else is even close. So I'm going to go back and maybe next year I could be the number one pick in the draft or there's always, okay, but that doesn't happen. Or there's always the Baker Mayfield, you know, uh, Joe Burrow, like out of nowhere player too. So Joe Burrow being the exception, generally those guys don't fare well in In the the NFL. NFL. Those guys, it's generally, generally those guys are proven to be the flash in the pan that they look like. I guess that's fair. Although I think that if like Baker came here, that it would be, I don't think so. I think it would be the same thing. But again, the the point being, remember how like we, we did this last year. It's a bad year to need a quarterback. Yeah. It's a bad, bad. Next year is not a bad year to need a quarterback. Right. So if you're going to need a quarterback, take care of it next year. 
that's yeah. kind of I don't know if they look at things like that. I I, I don't know. To, it, it's really easy for me not having my livelihood on the line yeah. to sit here from 10,000 feet and say, here's the 2023, 2024 class. Here's 2025 class. I'd rather pick from 2024. But there, there is kind of an element of that, that it all lines up. You're deciding on the fifth-year option. You have a strong quarterback class. It's all right. If they do want to move on in the offseason, the – Conditions are perfect for them to do so. It's also perfect to do so, and I, I'm not team move on. Yet. I, I'm not either. I'm I not either. But I'm saying, if you're going to move on, do it right. And it's also the best time to trade them. Yep, it's the best time to trade yep. them because you still have a full year of that, the fourth, and then technically the fifth year option would then maybe be available if you picked it up and you, you had two years of team control right. for the team that's right. acquiring them. So it's the best year to trade them as well. I, I come back, uh, but again, let me. I, I want to hammer. I think he's. I think they're going to be fine. I think yeah. he's going to prove enough that they should give him a long-term deal and, like you said, build around him Niners plan, yeah. that kind of thing. But I'd rather, as much as I want them to stick with Mac Jones because I think he's the guy compared to moving on, if they are going to move on, I want them to move on correctly. Yeah, and quickly, honestly. Like, there's quick, no, oh, yeah. The, there's no time One and the same, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the big thing with, with Mac is what, what I keep coming back to with him is like, all right, with an offense that has, for lack of a better term, has its head screwed on properly, right? And and for an offense that's going to have an OC that understands how to call plays and understands how to sequence plays and game plan and install basic foundational elements this time of year and all like all the great things that Bill O'Brien we've talked about uh, and, and that Bill O'Brien brings to the table, all of that is going to get Mac Jones back to like a baseline level of performance that would probably reflective of his rookie year, right? He has to be better than that, in my eyes, to be willing to commit to him long-term. And that's He has just, to be better. And, and what that comes down to is how fast can he unlearn some of the bad habits that were developed last year, and, and that's the big question. And that, I think, is where, you know, where my reluctance or, like, my hesitation comes from is because, unfortunately, even though I thought he looked better in the spring, and granted it's just OTAs and minicamp and non-padded practices and there were receivers out, we, we should mention that, that, you know, he, he didn't always have his full complement of receivers out there. Even though it looked better, did it look great? Like, did it look awesome? You know what I mean? Like, did it look like they were lighting it up out there uh, with the passing game? Like, I, I wasn't there. Like, I still think that there was some, like, just hesitation in his game. You know what I mean? Like, just not that, that confident, like, step your foot, you know, put your foot in the, in the door and, and rip it in there. And and I think that, that still remains to be seen if that's going to come along. And then I would also mention that handling pressure, you don't really see that in a in a training camp or a mini camp setting. Until the bullets are live, we won't know. You know, until he's in an actual NFL game and he's playing, is he better under pressure? Is he more poised? Does he know where his answers are? Does he know how to protect himself? Like those types of things, I think are still a big element of it too. So. It's a big part of it, but I just. But again, it, it's it's not something we're going to like go out there in the spring and be like, yeah. oh hey, they you know Mac Jones is a guy or no he's not. We're not going to know till if we know before December. That's alarming, Let's right? So here's way. my here's my question that we might know something about a little bit sooner. We basically on this program, I'll speak for you. You can correct me if you don't feel this way, but we basically put to bed a quarterback competition in the yeah. spring. And kind of said that that's not how it looked, and that's not how we feel it's going. Is there any world in your mind where a month from now we're we're talking about Bailey Zappi? Not a m- month from now. So you don't think that this is at all going to be a camp storyline? Is my point? 
that I guess I'm trying to. No, it would, it, would, it would have to get unless like Matt gets hurt. No. Okay. Um, you know, if you want to tell me in October, because again, I I still don't feel great about the tackle position, and if Matt continues to get sped up, you probably do need to get somebody in there. But it, yeah, unless Matt gets hurt, I, like the the things we need to judge him on. We can't judge him on in camp. Yeah. So how can it become a conversation? Wait, is Bailey's app he just going to be that good? I feel like if he was actually that good, we and, and again, I don't think Bailey's app is bad, but if he was that good, we would have seen it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't see it happening either. And I, I just I keep coming back to the same thing with Bailey Zappi, and then we can move on. Is just what is he better at than Mac Jones? Like, what can you say? So you can maybe say that he showed more poise. I think he did. I think he showed more poise than against Mac. two of the worst defenses in the league with more extra blockers and more quarterback sure, friendly. But my point is, is, I'm getting there. My point with the poise thing is that he he was not screwed up from right. Like that was all he knew. That was the only coaching staff he knew. Right. That was the only system that he knew. So as broken as it was, he wasn't going from Josh McDaniels's buttoned up offense to. Matt Patricia's offense. Well, and that's like he wasn't running the same offense Mac Jones was running. Yeah. He kind of was running Josh McDaniel's yeah. offense. There was some differences too. That's fair. Yeah. So I, I think that that's a, a big reason why Bailey Zappi looked more comfortable is because he didn't know any better. Like he I'll give you the one thing I, th- I legitimately think Bailey Zappi does better than Mac Jones. Yeah. And it, it is a little bit of a problem for Mac Jones. It's something he needs to work on this year. When he's in the pocket, he's a little loose with the football. He got strip sacked a few times. Yeah. Bailey Zappi keeps a tight grip on the football. That's the one thing. And look, that's something they'll look at. But one that's really fixable for Mac, that's like a simple coaching point. And that's not – if you're flipping your starting quarterback, if you're giving up on your first-round pick because the other guy fumbles – and I don't think think Mac fumbles a ton. Yeah. Like, it's neutral with him. I just think that's a – part of the reason I had Bailey Zappi as a Patriots target when he was coming out is I was like, he does not give the football away. That's just a big plus in in, in Bailey Zappi's uh, checkbox. So so I, I think the one thing that I will say to give Bailey cra- uh, Bailey Zappi credit because I feel like I'm always crapping all over him is is what I was trying to get out is I, I do think he throws the ball to the sideline a little bit better than Mac like a little, with a little bit more zip a little bit more anticipation like if you're trying to hit like a a 12 yard out yeah like who do you want making that throw neither one of them have like cannons like don't get me wrong. But if you're if you really want to hit a twelve yard out for some reason, like and you if you're watching it in practice, I think is a better way to put it. Yeah, and they're running the twelve yard out in, in warm ups, and Mac goes and then Bailey goes. I think that there's a little bit more gas on Bailey's throw. May, but I yeah maybe a little bit. The rest of the, you're not building your whole offense on that, and their no. offense especially. They're like Bill O'Brien doesn't throw to the sidelines. That's not his yeah. offense is all in the middle of the field. So that doesn't really do a lot right now no i i don't disagree i just i want to give bailey some a little bit of oh yeah yeah, yeah. no 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 i a little bit great. it's it's so annoying because evan you know this better than anybody before bailey zappy was a patriot i was the president of the bailey zappy fan club oh, now God. now apparently i hate him yeah it's it, quick it, quick diversion on yeah. the bailey zappy it's related but just a quick story i guess i should say we were outside middle of the, of the freaking winter it was like it was freezing i remember yeah. i was i was you know me i i'm i'm a, I'm a wimp so i i like bundle up like canada goose hat yeah. like the whole thing we're standing outside we're waiting to go into practice and alex is telling me how he's gonna like stay up till like 10 o'clock at night on saturday night to watch this quarterback from western kentucky 
named Bailey Zappi. And the fact that I don't know who, who Bailey is breaking every single NCAA the, record. The fact that I don't know who Bailey Zappi is is a is a crime against humanity. And and, and this I, guy is breaking all sorts of records and how could I not know and how could I not want to watch and all this stuff and lo and behold he gets freaking drafted by the Patriots. It's like remember who was it that tweeted that like last year that in the NFL now a quarterback's either top 10 or he sucks. Yeah. And we're not allowed to put anybody in the middle ground. Like Bailey Zappi's a fine backup quarterback. If yeah. you need him to start a couple games, yeah, he can start a couple games and you could certainly do much worse. Like he that's what he is. And there's nothing wrong with that. Chase McDaniel's made more money than pa- per pass Chase, attempt than anybody Chase, in Chase Daniel, not McDaniel. Yeah. Chase Daniel's made more money per pass attempt than anybody in NFL history. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean I want to give him the keys to the franchise, but that also doesn't mean I think he's terrible. I just think he is what he is. Call right. a spade a spade. All right, let's move on to running right. backs. Uh, that's a good good rant on the quarterbacks there. So running backs, I I did. Oh, I didn't do it on this one. Where you have something else coming out where we have like locks and bubbles and whatever. I I, I do that at the. I, so I do like a last three on last three. Yeah, on. I did that, but I uh, never mind. Uh, so the way I feel currently about the running backs is that. I have four running backs on the roster. They typically keep four. That, yep. That's typically yep. their number coming out of camp. And Ramondre Stevenson, Ty Montgomery, Pierre Strong, and Kevin Harris are the four guys, obviously. I cannot envision a scenario, aside from Dalvin Cook being a Patriot, where those four guys aren't on this team. Like, how do, They're not going to carry less than four running backs. Right. There's no – J.J. Taylor, uh, no offense to J.J. Taylor, is not pushing the envelope. Nope. With any he's, of had three, he's had three years to do it, and he hasn't done it. Right. So. so, in my mind, it's, like, impossible. Like, how are, how are they not viewed currently without – with the caveat that there's nobody coming in from the outside, how do you view that those four guys as, as anything but locks? Like, they, they – so, I wonder if they could get Kevin Harris to the practice squad and promote him. Because like you said, they kept they, they kept four initially last year. Remember, they went into games with only two healthy running backs. Like, totally just, this is what we're going to do. So, yeah. if they can get Kevin Harris to the practice squad, that, like, I he'll be here and he'll play in games. Right. And he would be, it, it's what they did with him last year. Remember, they released yeah. him initially last year and then they signed him back off the practice squad. So, my, I don't so, necessarily disagree with you, but... With that position, there are injuries in camp every year, and I do wonder if he's one of those t- guys that puts up like 150 yards in the third preseason. But that's game what he in did last year. Quarter. But that's what he did last year, and then Tom Montgomery got hurt, and he went on IR, and they yeah. signed him. And because you have you know the three week thing, you can return or whatever it is now six weeks. I have Kevin Harris on. Yeah. I think they keep all four, but it would not be the most surprising. I think I had. Let me scroll to the bottom here because I wrote this like a month ago. I think I had Harris as one of my last. Uh, I had him as like the fifth to last guy on. So, so you have him as a bubble guy, but not like right on the bubble, but like bubble adjacent. Yeah. Okay. And, and the other thing is too to strengthen your argument, and I, I wrote about this again. You can find this on ninety eight five thesportsup.com. I what is is Ty Montgomery going to play more receiver this year? Because if the plan is for him to be used more in that regard, well, now you kind of have to keep Harris. Because he needs the early down work. Well, not just that. If Ty Montgomery's a receiver, you're down to two backs. And one yeah. of them is a guy that's not that Harris is super proven sure. either, but you're down to two backs and one of them has played in like two NFL games. That's when you start talking about that Demario Douglas spot on the roster, I think, as being more of a bubble spot. But yeah, I, I think they keep four, but I'm not as sold on Harris being like a true lock as you are. Okay. I just, I don't know how they go into the season without the depth. 
Now, maybe you're right. Maybe they can sneak him onto the practice squad, and that's how they feel. But I, I just feel he'll it, be here. Like, like don't I, get they that need the twisted, depth, in my opinion. But I also would say that it's also kind of role specific. Like, right. they have Ramondre. We know that they have Montgomery and Pierce Strong to be kind of the scat back, receiving back, third down back role. But who's like the backup? Like, who's the first and second down guy besides Ramondre right now? Is it I, Pierre Strong? It's probably Pierre Strong. I but even but is that like what he's built for and what they want him to do? And like you know, if what I they mean? use him right, it is. I it, it it's just more and the the practice squad elevations have kind of screwed up doing roster projections. Like because it's it's so arbitrary the way we do these because we're trying to guess the initial fifty three. Yeah. Let's say we get something like last year where somebody gets hurt in camp, right? Or I'll just use I I would think he's going to be ready for the season, but I just know off the top of my head he's hurt. Let's say. And again, I'm not saying this is going to happen. By all yeah. accounts, he's fine. But let's say Juju has to open the season on PUP. Yeah. You get him on the initial 53. Or no. You don't have to get I know what you're trying to say. I, I, I don't want to make up a player getting hurt. But like, let's say a player gets hurt, yeah. right, on the initial 53. Injured IR, Kevin Harris, back from the practice squad week one. He doesn't, even though you cut him, right. he's still on the week one roster. So that's where so like you, this, I, I, I hate it. these because... I go for the initial 53. There's fluidity to it. Right. Right. So I, I'm not saying Kevin Harris won't be here, and I agree with you. I've said this. They, I want to see him add another back. doesn't have to be Dalvin Cook. We've talked about Leonard Fournette and Ezekiel yeah. Elliott and Reggie Corbin and Reggie. all those guys. <laughs> Shout out to the, the two-time USFL champion Birmingham Stallions. And uh, they got a couple of Patriots. Jamar Smith, former Patriots you know, quarterback, Jamar, Jamar Smith. Smith. Yeah, he, so he was the MVP of the game last year. This year he was hurt, so he didn't play. Ugh. It was Alex Magoo took over. <laughs> As the quarterback, it was really good. But anyway, the point being, Kevin Harris will be here. Yeah. I just don't know that he's on that technical, like, initial 53-man roster. All right, so here's my other thing. Uh, quickly, with the running backs, uh, Dalvin Cook, yes or no? Do you think he, there's any real – there's smoke to it. I don't know if there's fire, but there's smoke. Well, I mean, this is this is where, you know, what is – not to get all philosophical and stuff, right? But what is interest? Is it – I hey, think there is legitimate mutual interest between t- the both parties, but I think that it's the typical Patriots thing, and it, the player is not dying to play for New England because of it, and it's the, would we take Dalvin Cook at our number? Of course. We would take Dalvin Cook at our number. Every team would take Dalvin Cook at their number. Right. But that's it. It's That's all but it that, is. That's the thing. By the way, other uh, Patriots on the Birmingham Stallions, Scooby Wright. Okay. And uh, not, not a former Patriot, but Patriot adjacent, Thad Moss. Oh, Randy Moss's yes, son. Yes, so there yes. you go. Um, I, yeah, I think it's hey, yeah, you know, Dalvin Cook's a good player, right? I think right. they're kind of saying, hey, if you want to come here and play for like two million bucks, yeah, we're not going to say no to that. But no, five six million isn't happening. So it's, I think they're interested in the sense that they take him. They're not going to just close the door on him and say, sorry, we're not interested. But I don't think they're going to overextend themselves to go out and get him. Nor should they. That's Hopkins. Hopkins is the guy they need to do yeah. that for. If they end up chasing Cook and putting the money into Cook that they're now no longer in the running for Hopkins, I would call that a mistake. I would call that a mistake. So the last thing I'll say about the running backs that I think is cool uh, about Bill O'Brien's offense is I think a guy like Ty Montgomery, and I, I hope that Pierre Strong becomes this guy eventually as he learns the, the NFL game and the offense and becomes a little bit more of an explosive version of, of what I'm about to outline, but 
Bill O'Brien does a really good job of like moving running backs around to change up formations. So you can put like 12 or 11 personnel out on the field and you can be empty out of that, or you can be like under center power, right? Like you can do both those things in this system. I think that they really are super high on Tom Montgomery's versatility. I think he's going to be somebody that they are basically get, you mentioned him playing more receiver and this is just sort of what, what jogged this in my brain. I think that they're going to use him as both, right? Like where there's going to be times where they're going to go five wide and they're going to put him out at, at a receiver spot. And then they're probably going to motion him back in the backfield sometimes and create matchups that way. Right. Or and indica- also indicators, right? Like if a linebacker matches him when he, when he motions out, you know, it's probably man coverage. If they just bump over, you know, it's probably zone coverage, like those types of things too. So I think you're going to see a lot of that uh, sort of flexibility and, and versatility be used to an advantage with a guy like Ty Montgomery. I'm still, this position still gives me a little bit of pause. I still think that they need another body there. Uh, another, and I say another body, I don't even mean Reggie Corbin. Like, like, and I also don't necessarily mean it needs to be Dalvin Cook either. Like there, there's a middle ground that also could, Benny Snell. that could potentially short Benny Snell that could also potentially exist there. Uh, but I do, I do think that they would benefit from having one more guy in camp. That's a fifth running back that has a chance to make the roster not a jj taylor like a, a legitimate right. nfl rosterable back all right uh let's do wide receivers uh, obviously this is a highly highly talked about position but as things currently stand based off of uh no like operating on the presumption that deandre hopkins is not going to be here because he's not currently on the team i have five wide receivers making the team uh they are juju uh taekwon thornton Devonte parker kendrick bourne and currently, I have Demario Douglas, but I really think that that fifth wild card, fifth receiver spot is a complete and total wild card that is way too early to call. Right? This is like this is going to come down to training camp and who who pops in camp, who has a good preseason, who has a good joint practices in those back to back weeks. So I think the fifth receiver spot is still way too early to tell and extremely wide open. Uh, but again, similar to how I mentioned with the four running backs, if DeAndre Hopkins isn't here, those four receivers are going to be on this football team, the top four that I mentioned. And it could be one of those things we, we talk about, and I have the same group as you. Yeah. We talk about that fifth wide receiver spot. Does it even exist? We did this last year with Trey Nixon and Lil Jordan Humphrey and Christian Wilkerson, and it was this intense battle all the way down to the last day, and then they all got cut. Yeah. None of them made the team. With Mike Kosicki, with Ty Montgomery, who can both contribute as wide receivers, like I could see them doing that again too. I think there's a role for Douglas. That's what's exciting, and I, we've talked about that about him filling in that Marcus Jones role, so they can use that package more often. But we don't even know if that role exists to begin with. Like you said, that's going to be a, a fascinating storyline all throughout camp. But yeah, the, the top four, the top four, that's well established, assuming everybody's healthy, and then it's Douglas Booty. Ed Lee, Trey Nixon, can anybody earn that fifth spot? And I think prove to the team that it's worth keeping a fifth player at the position outright. So the one reason why I agree with that totally, but the one reason why I really am thinking and, and leaning DeMario Douglas just early, like as we both had DeMario Douglas on for the time being, doesn't it feel like they really kind of need that shifty slot receiver, like not the the power slot, not the juju slot receiver, but like that true... I know he's not quite that, but like the Welkers, right? Like the Welkers, yeah. the Edelmans, like I still shifty slot. I still think in this offense, quickness is in the inside of the formation is key. Like I still think they need somebody that's like that. They don't really have that guy in this room if it's not 
Demara Douglas. Like I don't really know who else fits that mold. And I, I mean, Edley does, but he's he's not so far right. away. Yeah, I, I just feel like I, it's worth that. And I I mentioned the the coaching clinic thing and and stuff like, like I mentioned Kiki Kate. Kiki Kate. A shirt's Kate. I thought it was Kate. I'll look. I haven't thought about him <laughs> this in a while. So silly. I was a fan of his game when he came out. Texas Tech. The fact that he played like meaningful snaps. Just tells you how much Bill O'Brien cares about quickness. He was Pat Mahomes' guy at, at Texas Tech. Yeah, like they 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 need some quickness out of this group. Right now, this group is about essentially outside of Taekwon, who's got the, the straight line speed. But Juju and Devontae Parker, the other guys that are going to play a ton, and those guys are power guys. Like they're bullies. You know, they're going to win with size and power and strength at the catch point and things like that. They're not going to get open on a dime. You know, they're not going to going to shake a linebacker on a juke route or run away over the middle on a little in cut like that's not their game so i i do think that they would like to develop demario douglas how did you pronounce it again katu qt so it's not qt it's qt kiki qt even that guy played some he's not bad i don't know why you're dumping on i'm not i'm not he's not a bad player i'm not dumping on him i'm just saying like it doesn't have to be wes welker like you know like we don't have to talk about stars like well he's oh he's not available he's on the Saints. So, anyways, I still think that that favors Demario Douglas. I got this question a lot and push back a little bit of like what happens with Booty, right? I think that everybody's still not everybody. There's still a big group of Patriots fans. Rhymes with breadshirt. Oh, what? You said what happens with? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. rhymes with breadshirt. I, I thought we were still talking about Kiki Kute for a no. second. No. <laughs> so, what happens with Keishon Booty? You say redshirt. Is he the type of guy that? Is there a path for him, like with the true Patriot red shirt of the Foxborough flu and him ending up on injured reserve in August and not being eligible to make the initial 53 man roster and even play this year and like having that work out in the long run? Because my fear with the player like that is like if he's not involved and he's not in the program, that the things outside of football are going to pull on him. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I don't. His character concerns me. Yeah, you, in that you, you want him busy. You want him locked in and all of that. I I mean, is he healthy? Yeah. It, he could be locked in on rehabbing. He, he said he had a broken, right? It remind me from wrong. He said he had ankle. a broken ankle. Very bad ankle. At the com- but it was broken at the combine? He said that it was still a problem at the combine. Still coming back from it. So that's, I mean, that's a long, that's not an easy recovery. Well, so. I mean, if you remember, that was a really bad injury. Yeah. So if it's, I, I mean, he's still going to be focused on like rehab and stuff. And the, the guy's a lottery ticket. Yeah. We'll call it what it is. Guy's a lottery ticket. We knew that. That's why he went in the sixth round. He was at one point considered the top wide receiver in a class that in, that included Jackson Smith and Jig. But he was considered the most talented player in that class. You see the flashes on tape. So there's a reason the Patriots got him when they did. I think it's not an invalid concern. I would say the what's the alternative? Cutting him out, right? Just giving up on him. Without even finding out, or just keeping the roster, keeping him on the roster for what? I guess no. I guess the alternative would be hoping that he gets back to the practice. I don't squad. see. So here's the thing: I don't think you're getting him to the practice squad because he's going to go off, and he's going to be really good in the preseason if he's healthy. All right, but if he's not healthy, then you're just putting him. So you just want to keep him on the practice squad, but on IR basically. Keep I, him on the practice on squad. The, hurt. I, but the thing is, if he's on the practice squad, then if he gets healthy and he looks good in practice, he's at least still eligible to play in games. I I guess. Yeah. I. It's a weird situation. It's, it's a, a weird it's situation. A, I, it's a different one, and I and it's funny because you talk about that quickness. Like he's 
he could kind of be in that role. Yeah, he has a little bit of that. I think he's still like more skews towards like the Juju Kendrick Bourne inside receiver than he does. He's well, got, I think, a little more wiggle than those guys. He's got some. He's food. got more wiggle sure. than than Smith Schuster. Yeah, I don't know about Bourne. I, I think Bourne's kind of a, a comparable player. I, it's interesting. It's a it's a tough one, but this is. I'm I'm trying not to do it again, Alex. I'm not I'm trying not to pull a Maurice Harris, right? Like I'm yeah. I'm gonna give the guy a chance to show me something in camp. It obviously wasn't there in the spring, but maybe he's a different guy in, in a couple weeks, and and he looks like a different guy. I hope so for their sake, because that that would obviously benefit the team. But yeah, I, I think that that's where we're at. And uh, Malik Cunningham, no. I mean, he'll be here. He'll, he's there. gonna be on the practice squad, yeah. scout team, quarterback, all that, and they'll see what they can do with him as wide receiver. But I, I don't think he plays this year. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on to tight ends. I think the interesting thing about the tight ends, we know Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki are going to be here. I do think this is a huge, huge uh, tipping point for the team that if this duo is better, it should be better than the Johnny Smith-Hunter Henry duo anyways. But if it's yeah. like actually good, it really changes <laughs> a lot. You know what I mean in terms of their outlook offensively. But the, the bigger question from a roster standpoint is do they carry a third tight end? Now, two years ago, the first year of the Henry Janu duo, they had a fullback. They had Jakob Johnson. Yeah. So they had two tight ends and a fullback. Last year, they just had two tight ends. No fullback, just Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. So there's a little bit of precedent for them carrying only two tight ends. I initially only have two tight ends on the roster right now, and I'm saying tight ends a lot. Because uh, uh, I don't know if I feel like Ferksker, Washington, Lumpkin, Sokol – that group, I don't know if I feel like any of that group needs to be on the 53. I think you are going to get at least one, probably more than one guy back on the practice squad if you want him there. And I'm not sure that you need to protect him on the initial roster. So that's why I currently only have two. I'm with you on this one. I And I got a lot of crap when I post this. How can you only keep two tight ends? If they're going to be too tight and heavy, you need backups. That's and this is where, like I said before, the whole practice squad elevation thing kind of screws with right. the whole they, idea of roster projection. Because yep, you know, five years ago, we would have had to keep a third tight end. We yeah. would have been handcuffed. I talk yeah. about the positional minimums all the time, and the at-large roster spots. You lose one here. You'd have to keep three tight ends. They can get away with two because let's say you get Lumpkin, Sokol, and Ferkser. Let's say you get those three on the practice squad. I don't think it's unrealistic for them to keep three tight ends on a... They change the number every year. 16-man practice squad. Yeah. Not unrealistic at all. Lumpkin, Ferkser, um, and Sokol. Yeah. Each of those guys can be elevated twice. You're now at six weeks. You're now well into the season, and you've had three right. tight ends and then for if every somebody game. somebody gets hurt in Somebody season, gets hurt, you sign somebody to the right. roster. So, no, they are very much good, I think, just keeping the two and, and letting the cards fall where they may from there. I would also mention that if one of Gesicki or Hunter Henry, and hopefully they don't, but if one of them do get hurt, then they just won't be a 12 personnel team. Right, and this is what we've <laughs> talked about, where they do have the wide receiver depth where they don't need to kind of uh, they they don't they'll be okay they'll yeah. be okay if they go from 12 to 11 so anyways uh the other conversation about the tight ends just quickly is about how exactly th- what kind of skill set do they really want out of a third tight end like if we're going to talk about a third tight end actually pushing for a roster spot here and and making it so that they should have a roster spot for this guy they kind of have some different body types and different skill sets out of the backups here so Ferksker is like that that H back move tight end type of uh, 
detached wing piece, right? Like he's not a guy that's going to be an inline guy too much, but he can move around. He can play outside, you know, detached from in the slot or uh, maybe probably not out wide. I'd say more in the slot or, and maybe a little bit in the backfield, right? In, in sort of like an H-back fullback style role. So they have that that type of guy. The one guy, and you, you've kind of talked me into this a little bit, yeah, is Johnny Lumpkin. Yeah. Who looks like a tackle. Literally, big look, guy, big big dude, big guy fills out a jersey, looks at looks like a tackle in a '60s jersey out at practice in the spring. So, if that's my main point is is like what what kind of guy do they want in that spot? And I'm starting to like sway a little bit towards Johnny Lumpkin, honestly, because. Kasiki and Hunter Henry are not impact blockers. They're not impact in-the-line blockers. And ideally, honestly, I don't think you'd want to use Kasiki at all as an in-line guy. No. I, I don't think that that's no. really what you want him here at all doing. So it's not so much that you're going to put Lumpkin in the game a ton, but I do think that there's going to be certain game plans where first down is going to be a rundown for this team. And maybe right. he is in a game plan where he plays 10 to 15 snaps on first down because they are going to run the football. You are going to have to have a blocking tight end for short yardage. You are going to have to have a blocking tight end on the goal line. Like those types of situations. And I think that Johnny Lumpkin can be that guy. He's just going to be a blocker, but he's going to hold up his end of the bargain in that department. And with the type of tight ends that they have at the top of the depth chart, that could be a really useful player situationally. And if anybody's going to make a push for it, I think it might be Lumpkin simply because there's a game day role for Johnny Lumpkin. Like you can project that inline blocking role having a, a an active roster spot on Sunday. He also played some special teams at, at uh, uh Louisiana, so he can you know contribute there as well. And yeah, I I think he if there is a third tight end, I think it's Lumpkin, but again, right now they're in a situation where they should he's not a guy that's gonna light up preseason. No. Right? So they should be able to get him to the practice squad and go from there. Okay. So last one here, offensive line this is a big one. This is a big one. I currently, and I know they're not going to carry 10 offensive linemen on the roster, but I have these 10 guys as guys that I think really have a chance and to make the team and are basically uh, seven or eight of them I think are pretty much locks. So Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Mike Onwenu, Riley Reef, Calvin Anderson, Connor McDermott, and the three rookies, City Sal, Antonio Maffi, Jake Andrews. So my guess is they get this down to eight or nine. Uh, most likely it would probably be a decision that's made for them with an injury. Yeah. And one guy ends up on on uh, on the old Foxborough flu path, uh, one of the rookies. And then I I wonder how many of these tackles are they truly going to keep because you are in a position where, yeah, you want the depth, yeah, you want uh, the options in case it goes awry, uh, but you're talking about keeping McDermott, Brown, Reef, Anderson and then maybe a guy like City Sal who can kind of play both spots, both tackle and guard. It's a lot of bodies for one spot to carry basically five guys that play that one position. So maybe this gets solved for them with injuries, unfortunately, as we know how these things go. Yeah. Uh, but that, those are the 10 guys I think that have a really good chance to make the team. Uh, you know, Cody Rusi, maybe. Uh, I just don't really see why they need to, to make a, you know, put a backup center. Uh, on the roster, I don't really think he's going to play much guard. He's practice squad guy. Yeah. Him, Ferentz, Hines. Yeah. I so the one thing I toyed with. So I had this on my post draft roster projection going into the spring. I had them cutting Connor McDermott and bringing him back after somebody's put on IR. 
I think McDermott is a guy you could do that with. It would be a little harder, but you could also do it with Calvin Anderson. Yeah. So those are two guys. Again, it's that weird thing. Are they on the initial 53? Maybe not. They'll be here. But McDermott, one-year deal, that that one's super easy. You cut him. McDermott, I think, is cuttable. I think Reef and Anderson are – everybody's cuttable out of this group. Reef has a lot of guaranteed yeah, money. I That's think, a tough I one. I think Anderson and Reef's contracts suggest that they're probably – I, I remember I, I looked this up months ago. Anderson's like – it's not – wouldn't be ideal, but it's also not unrealistic, yeah. given the money. McDermott's the easy one. McDermott, you cut him, you make the other moves you need to make, you bring him back, yeah. easy, done. I could see that with him. I think they'd rather keep him, obviously, but they're gonna have. this is what teams do now. They get creative to maximize the 53 spots between IR and the practice squad and this and that. So the one thing that I, I wanted to say about the offensive line, along with just all this roster shuffling, how, how do you feel about Mike Onwenu playing right tackle? Like where where are you on that? I've been on that train since they moved him out there the first time. Yeah, twenty twenty. I think he's look. Is he a better guard than tackle? Yes, but I think minimally. And when you factor in the positional value, and then you look at where their roster's at right now, they have a ton of candidates for for right guard. I'm not going to get too excited about Antonio Moffy because we've only seen him in non padded practices. But Moffy's a guy who could potentially do it. City Sal's a guy who could potentially do it. Uh, James Ferentz, Chase and Hines, like they have options there. Not all, none of them are going to be all pros, but they have yeah. options there, which they don't have at tackle. Onwenu's who's better out there. And the reality is, I don't think they're bringing Onwenu back one way or the other. So the whole thing about, well, you're moving him out there and then you're going to have to pay him more to sign him. Not necessarily. If they've come to terms with the fact that he's not going to be here long term, then who cares? Yeah, I, I just think it's it's not only better for the player because I think for him, then he could go to market as a right oh, tackle. Oh, I'm sure he'd love it. I'm yeah. sure he he if they asked him about it, he'd be thrilled to do it. And I also think that this is an old, like, Skarnekiaism, is that it's about your best five, right? Like, it's about finding the best five. Right, and their best five is Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Mike, and Mike Owner. Those are their best four. Right. The fit it, it kind of falls off after that, but it at least gives you more flexibility in, you, in finding that fifth person. If you feel like that Antonio Maffi, just to, because I think he's the the current guy that would have the inside track to to the to make this yeah. work, Antonio Maffi is a better guard than Riley Reef is a right tackle at this point. Yes, then what are we talking about? So, to me, what this is going to come down to, and this is where it gets tough, is they said last year, we don't want to screw around with Onwenu. We yeah. don't want to screw around with his development. He's a guard. We're developing him at guard, period, end of story. And they they were this close, Evan. They were minutes away from James Ferentz starting at left tackle against Vaughn Miller. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, Trent Brown, he was sick. He pulled through. He didn't come out for warm-ups. He came out for the game. It didn't happen. But they were that determined. They were going to put James Ferentz out there against Vaughn Miller rather than move Mike Onwenu out to tackle. So it was not happening last year. If, if it wasn't happening under that circumstance, it was never happening. They might have put a tight end out there. They might have gone out there with four linemen before they put Mike Onwenu at tackle. And to an extent, I do get that. When they were moving him all over the place in 2020 and 2021, right, I remember saying, you've got to pick a position for him long-term and let him develop there. Now, I think that position should be tackle because – it's a hard position to find. There's a shortage of tackles in the NFL. If you have a guy who's a capable tackle, put him there and let him play there. So I would develop him a tackle. They chose guard. Now, to get back to this year, 
Whose decision was that? Was it Bill Belichick or was it Matt Patricia as either the offensive right. line, uh, either as the offensive line coach or offensive coordinator? So I, I think that they view, we all know that everybody did. Holy crap, that thing is huge. Uh, There's a bug in here. They viewed Mike Onwenu as the guard coming in. Yeah. And he has a guard body type. Like yeah. he's thick, he's, he's burly, he's uh, stouter. He's, turned, he's built like a guard, looks like a guard, walks like a guard. And I think that they always felt like the tackle thing was kind of out of nowhere for everybody, like including people in the organization. So they moved him back to his natural position in their eyes. And maybe that's the way that it ends up being. I just think two things. One, they have more solutions to me at guard than they do at tackle potentially. Many more. And secondly, I think that there's something to be said that it's easier to protect the guard than it is to protect the edge. Like it's easier to hide a guard. It just is, especially if you're sandwiching. Well, yeah, because there's guys on each side right. of him instead of just one side. Right, and especially if you're sandwiching in between David Andrews and Mike Onwenu, who might be two, your two best offensive linemen. Right, so they'll they'll keep him, they'll keep the right guard afloat just like they did with Cole Strange last year, and hopefully right. now that Cole Strange is going into year two, he doesn't need to be treated with kid gloves right like hopefully they they can allow him to just kind of play his game so i think that there is an element to that as well all right so i i'm with on when at guard if or at tackle uh if they have to make that move i'd rather watch them make that move uh than watch right tackle be a turnstile again all year and and figure it out with the rookies in the inside that's how i feel uh connor mcdermott quickly jack uh and 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 abba uh emailing in i don't think connor mcdermott is uh somebody that would go through waivers right i i have zero idea how the process works i i can't i can't remember if it's how many years mcdermott has like officially been in the league uh but i i don't think that he would be somebody that would need to pass through waivers but i'd have to confirm that but let's take a phone call then we'll uh, move over to the defensive side of the football uh noah is in toronto thanks for waiting noah what's going on hey guys uh i had two takes on the tackle situation that i wanted to kind of get off my chest um the first was just that i'm I'm kind of confused by the riley reef contract still i feel like it was kind of a lot of money um and there's two sort of younger tackles who I think played better last year that were out there, um, and Cameron Fleming and Jermaine Illuminor that I kind of would have preferred they signed. And then the second thing is just, like, I feel like they've invested so little draft capital in tackle over the past few years, um, I guess depending on how you view City Sal, but they haven't drafted a tackle in the fifth round or higher in the last four drafts. Um, and I think this year they had DeWan Jones sitting there in the fourth round, and I really kind of feel like they took a shot. They should have taken a shot at him. Um, so I don't know. I guess it's all kind of in the past now, but those those are my takes on tackle. Uh, thanks, Noah. Thanks for the call. Yeah, look, Alex, uh, we've been doing shows for a couple years together now. I mean, more than that. I don't even know how many years now. How, how many years have we talked about tackle in the draft? Every single it year. It seems like every single year. They It is a position that they've more or less kicked down the can down the road. And you mentioned Dewan Jones. We both really like Dewan Jones. We both had Dewan Jones like as like a first end of first, early second round player. Uh, I don't hold Dewan Jones against them quite yet because clearly there was something going on with Dewan Jones. Like there was something going on in the league with Dewan Jones that made it. He was not a fourth round tackle on film. 
right. he wasn't. So there was something going on behind the scenes that they didn't like about him that other teams didn't like about him as well. So in the interest of fairness, the other thing I'll, I'll say about this tackle situation, because it is on paper, they, they look like they're going to have a weakness at tackle. They do. And I think the one thing that you have to hang your hat on if you're a Patriots fan hoping for the best is that Bill O'Brien and Adrian Clem will, will figure it out. They'll coach it up. They'll coach around it. You know, there's ways, obviously, that we know that you can coach around having poor tackle play, you know, shorter passes, quicker releases, uh, stepping up in the pocket, like all these other sort of things, you know, that they can do to work around it. So is it possible that they feel they can just kind of cover it up? I mean, it it seems like that, right? Their actions kind of suggest that. So I think that that's where they're at with it. Uh, look, we we can argue or we can not even argue. We can agree and, and go back and forth on this a million times about how they went into the draft saying that they feel good about their tackle depth. All of us looked at their tackle depth and were like, I, I don't know. And now we're going to have to see who ends up being correct. Like that's how this all comes yeah. down to, right? So uh, let's move over to defense, uh, starting with the defensive line. So I have a uh, defensive line and I have uh, – your least favorite edge and linebacker all as separate positions. Of course you do. So defensive line, I have seven guys. These are true, like, hand-in-the-dirt defensive linemen. Okay. Christian Barmore. Yeah. I I do have Keon White here, but I think – Okay, I have him with my defensive line too. Yep. So Christian Barmore, Keon White, Devon Godshaw, Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, Carl Davis, Daniel Aquale. So off would be Sam Roberts, Jeremiah Farms, and Justice Tavai. All right, so we're, we're in line so far because all the players, I, I have none of those players in other positions. Uh, I don't have Lawrence Guy, though. So what – I – he's on the fence. He certainly isn't like, – but I what, just, do you, what do you think happens with Lawrence Guy? I think he retires. I think he retires. I just don't – what is he holding out for? That's what I don't understand. He, I was already on a relatively player-friendly deal. He's 33 years old. They just drafted a player with a similar – like high with a similar skill set to his – I don't understand where his leverage is unless it's, and we see players do this from time to time. And I'm not sure if I want to play next year. So let me see if I can get some more money. Like, let me see if I can get some more money. He goes to him, eh, I don't know if I want to be back. Can you entice me to be back? I think people think of holdout as this malicious thing that's like, ah, screw the team. I deserve more money. I'm great. And it's like, it's not always that. Sometimes it's just, it can come from a, so many different things. It's not always this animosity driven concept right. and sometimes see players that say you know i i don't really want to play again you know if you gave me some more money maybe that would change my mind you know set me up better for retirement but for what you're paying me i don't know i'd want to go through another year of this and again lawrence guy's 33 at a position that players generally retire in their early to mid 30s i don't know anything there's no inside information here but it's just like when i put it all together that's kind of what i get he's also not Everything we know about him, he's not the kind of guy that would sit there and say, well, you know, I'm now the the 31st. I don't know what number he actually yeah. is, but call it. I'm now the 31st highest paid defensive lineman in the NFL, and I should be 25th. And until you write that wrong, like, <laughs> I'm not suiting up. It's not who he is. Yeah, I think he's just trying to figure out whether or not he wants to play or not. So there has been some rumblings behind the scenes about Lawrence Guy dating back to last year in training camp last year where there was some uncertainty there about how much he had left in the tank, how much he really wanted to play uh, and stuff like that. He ends up playing last year. He was Lawrence guy, you know, 
taking on blocks, holding the B gap, like Lawrence guy, a uh, five technique, four eye, like that type of player. But at the same time, it, once you start thinking about it, once it starts creeping in, um, there was like some just general sort of, I don't know what the word is, just he wasn't sure how much he wanted it anymore. Like, I think that that was going on already starting last Well, summer. a lot of players say this, too, especially guys who play into their mid-30s. And they'll be like, oh, when you know it's time to retire? And just like, you just kind of know. Yeah. You sort of, when you know, you know. And maybe that's, maybe he's hit that point. So I just, I I, I don't see how he holds out. In the, like, what resolves the holdout? Are the Patriots going to give him more money? I, they shouldn't. Right. So... Yeah. Whether he retires, whether he gets cut, whether however it formally happens, that holdout to me is him basically saying, I'm done with the Patriots. Okay, so if Lawrence Guy isn't in this mix for you, you only have six guys making it with Lawrence Guy not in the mix? Correct. Do you think that that then opens up a spot for somebody that I think a lot of other fans want to see a little bit of Sam Roberts? Maybe. So I, I went a little heavy at linebacker. So I just this is where, of, so you, you, I cut at linebacker. Okay, and you went the opposite. I, I moved it to the second level. Um, yeah, I, like I, I pushed. Good. I pushed to the second level. So I because I I mean they have all their bases covered. You've got Godshaw and Davis's nose tackles. Yep. You've got Barmore and Equality as kind of your athletic interior linemen, and then you've got Wise and Keon White. Wise and White on the edge with yeah. their depth coming from the linebacker position. So yeah. I. I, I like what's maybe another edge guy, and I guess that would be Roberts. But I also feel like he's going to have he's got to have a strong camp to make that happen. But it's also, um, you know, like I had, uh, um, oh no, I did have Munn. Never mind, I forgot to change it. Yeah, you know, maybe some other edge guy steps up. But I think there's as much a chance that happens. You know, we could all say Ronnie Perkins if he's going to do the Anthony Jennings thing right. and have the third year be the year. I would say he has just as good of a chance as Sam Roberts. It's one of those things, again, where forget the players competing for the spot. Does the spot exist? We we both had the fifth wide receiver on, but as I said before, we all thought there was going to be a fifth wide receiver. Last year, there wasn't. Maybe this is what happens. Maybe we think that it's, uh, you know, Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Booty, Trey Nixon, Ed Lee, all competing for that last wide receiver spot, and then we get to cutdown day, and all of a sudden they're keeping Ronnie Perkins or they're keeping Sam Roberts with only four wide receivers. Like, this would be the other side of that. Yeah, okay. So let's move on to, to linebackers. Uh, I have it broken up as edge and, uh, and, and regular linebacker. I, I did edge slash outside linebacker for you. And it took be a little bit more. I actually just have linebackers. So my outside linebackers, because I, I I'll stop saying edge so you don't jump off Thank the bridge. Uh, my outside linebackers are Matthew Judon, Josh Uche, and I have Jelani Tavai with the outside guys. Good. I do not have Anthony Jennings or Ronnie Perkins on this team right now. I Jennings was one of my last. I think he was my last guy on. Second to last. So guy Jennings off. is my le, is my first cut, last guy off. Okay. So fifty fourth player. Fifty fourth player. At some point in time, you you have to actually do something on an NFL football field for me to call you an NFL. What player. is Jennings? He played a ton last year. He didn't play a ton. I am going to tell you this with all due respect. I have not noticed or seen Ronnie Perkins do anything. Oh, I thought you were talking value. about Jennings. I am. Well, Jennings, too. Perkins Jennings. hasn't done anything. I, I agree Jennings, with you on that. Jennings, I think, exists. Like, I, he's out there. 
I see him doing things on Wait, a football 300 field. Snap, 350 snaps last year. On special teams? On defense. 343 snaps on defense last year. I don't year. even remember that happening. 32% usage you, rate last year sure? on defense. Yeah. Anthony Jennings? And then a 38% rate on special teams. That's shocking to me. That tells you how like little he actually made a, an impact. That I don't even remember him paying 300 snaps last year. That's a ton. Are you sure? Yeah. Pro football reference. I, I gotta, I'm looking at it right now. That's incredible. Like, that's how little impact those guys have had. Like, how long are we going to go on, like, just think, like giving those guys roster spots, I guess is my point. Now, maybe I think Anthony Jennings ultimately will find – they'll find a spot for Anthony Jennings on this team because they're going to probably be a little bit uh, more even fr- – or, uh, excuse me, odd front heavy. Like, they, they're going to play a decent amount and with two, uh, you know, stand-up outside linebackers on the edge of the line. But the way I look at it is – Jelani Tavai kind of crosses those those two positions, right? He's like a hybrid yeah. of those, the off-ball, on-ball position. So he's going to log some snaps on the line of scrimmage. And then I also think that Keon White could technically be listed as an outside linebacker just as easily as a defensive lineman. Yeah. So where does Anthony Jennings actually play other than just being like a backup? And so He's another edge guy. If that, But if that's a spot that they need to like be a little bit thin to fit some other people on the roster – I wouldn't hate it. Now, I think that ultimately I had 10 offensive linemen on. I think that ultimately ends up being eight or nine, and Anthony Jennings ends up getting a spot once one of the rookies goes on IR on the offensive line or something like that. But I I still haven't seen anything from Anthony Jennings in his playing time, and I haven't seen anything from Ronnie Perkins at all, anywhere, practice, training camp, preseason, anything. So until one of those guys starts to actually like show something to me, I'm going to consider them like strongly on on a roster bubble. That's just where I'm at with them. So I'm I'm just looking at my thing right now, Evan. You know I do the thing about at large roster spots, right? Yes. I have them currently with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine at large rosters. Uh, ten at large roster spots. So 10 spots that can truly be won by the best player regardless of position. I think Anthony Jennings fits into that bubble. I don't know exactly where, but I think he does. That's fair. I think he'll probably make the team. I just initially, I I think it's mainly about Keon White. Like Keon White's obviously going to be a huge part of what they're going to do defensively. And he's going to be an end-of-the-line player. Like whether he's hand in the dirt or he's standing up is really, uh, it's semantics, right? It it doesn't really matter. He's going to be an end-of-the-line player. So between him and Judon and Tavai, like that's your early down ed- edge players. And then obviously Uche is going to come on the field in passing situations to rush the quarterback. So Anthony Jennings is depth. And Ronnie Perkins is even further down the line of depth. So do you have Ronnie Perkins on or off? I, I have Ronnie Perkins off. I have Jennings on. So do do middle linebackers. I think I know where we differed on this. So middle linebackers, I have Jawan Bentley. I have Marty Mapu with yeah. the linebackers. Yeah. Mac Wilson, Chris Board. Uh, and then I have Therese Hall off, so I have those four guys. Okay, I didn't have them keeping Mac Wilson. Interesting. Because, well, your whole thing about how, well, Anthony Jennings was never on the field, so they're not going to keep him. Mac Wilson was never on the field. <laughs> he didn't play after, like, week nine. Yeah, after he didn't put, push Josh Allen out of bounds, he benched him. Right, so, yeah. like, I, so basically, I, that was my last decision yeah. when I was putting this together, was Anthony Jennings, Mac Wilson, who's getting that last spot, and I had Mac Wilson on, and then I thought about it, and then I had Jennings on, and I changed it, and I changed it. But what it came down to was Mac Wilson did not play at the end of the year last year, and they ha- he's not going to start. 
He's not going to start. Marte Mapu is in that role. Anthony Jennings played significantly last year, and I think there is— I slept is, on how much Anthony Jennings played I think because there, he literally did not make an impact on the field. And so. I think there's more of a need for his skill set than Wilson's skill set on this defense right now. So that was my okay. tiebreaker. So I think the big thing It literally me, came down to the—I don't know where Ronnie Perkins came into this conversation. Yeah. We both have him off. Yeah. That's—it wasn't—that's what it was to me. It was Jennings— or Mac Wilson, so and the, I went with Jennings. So the reason why I went with Mac Wilson over Jennings is because one, Raquan McMillan's injury like basically leaves them very thin about with like experienced veteran linebackers. Like it's basically just Bentley and Mac Wilson at this point, unless you want to count Chris Board, which I I don't. I really. count Chris Board, and I, I also count Chelani Tavai. Okay, I guess that's fair, but I I don't know how much off ball linebacker ju- they really want Chelani Tavai playing. I don't want him playing any off ball. I, I don't either, but but he will. So the thing is, is that oh, that's what one thing is about the experience, right behind Bentley. Right. The other thing is, is a how do they view Marty Mapu? Is he a safety or is he a linebacker in their mind? And b how much are they going to really put on his plate in year one? Like we know he's he's got the potential to be a really good player for them. We we can see it from the spring, but is that mean that they're going to put a rookie linebacker out there for 50 percent of the snaps right so right. that that like more versatile more athletic i guess is a better word than versatile that more athletic coverage style linebacker that's a role in this defense and until marty mapu is ready to wear the hat then mac wilson is like the best guy to fit that spot but they don't play him so everything you just said is why I had him on initially. What if Mapu's not ready? Yeah. They're going to cle- they're clearly building this role into this defense. They need somebody there in case Marte Mapu can't go, blah blah blah. Right. And I was like, but they had a chance to do that last year and they just didn't. Yeah. So that's that's again, I'm so I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm so 50-50 on that one. That was the hardest choice I made. Anthony Jennings, Matt Wilson, which guy is it? But <laughs> I, That's the hardest choice. They, of of all the stuff on the roster projection, yeah, that was the toughest one. Okay, what was tougher for you? The whole roster. Well, okay. <laughs> just, right. just, no, I'm just messing. With Go you. watch Savior Worthy. <laughs> I. Either way, like I could see it going either way. I just couldn't get past the fact that he didn't play the whole second half that, of that, last it, season, and then all of a sudden fair. now he's on the roster. I think. I think if Raquan McMillan never gets hurt. Then I I could definitely see I I would definitely feel str- more strongly about in your camp that Mac Wilson yeah. is not going to be on this team. I just don't know how you go into the year with basically the only linebacker that's played your Mike position and played it at any sort of experience in the NFL like anywhere being Juwan Bentley. Like that's the only guy that they would have that has any sort of serious NFL playing time. And Tavai, and Tavai, but and Chris Board. But Chris Board's playing on special teams. He's going to play defense. And Tavai's He's going to play some defense. And, and Tavai's playing on the line of scrimmage. I digress. Yeah, I, I, we, we just agreed. We got to agree, disagree <laughs> at this point. Corners. So there's the obvious caveat before I read corners. Jack Jones is not suspended by the league. He's still a New England Patriot as far as uh, 330 on July 6th goes. So I have him on. But legally, we don't know. Right, we don't we don't know right. where this is heading, but just from a football standpoint, I have him on uh, Christian Gonzalez, Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, Jack Jones, and then I have Miles Bryant on right now, and the reason why I have him on is because of Jack Jones. Like, if Jack Jones is not available to play, then they need to keep Miles Bryant, I think. But 
initially I actually had Isaiah Bolden over Miles Bryant. I do think that there's a world that if Jack Jones don't want to get too much into the legal stuff, but if Jack Jones somehow figures this this stuff out legally, that one of the rookie corners, Amir Speeder, is Isaiah Bolden could make the team over Miles Bryant. But in Till we have a real concrete answer of what the situation is with Jack Jones, I have to skew on the fact that he's probably not going to be available to play. And I think they have to go with the experience at that point. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. And let's be honest, they like Miles Bryant. They like Miles Bryant. And for all the crap he gets, he's a very yeah. smart football player. He's a solid tackler. I think he's probably a safety. I wouldn't play him a corner, yeah. but... he's So could, I, he's definitely not... What he's not is he's not a man coverage... No player right he's not a man coverage defender whether it's covering receivers tight ends whatever like he can't he's not a man coverage defender I actually think he's a really good zone defender I do I think he's an above average zone DB but they don't play they play their fair share of zone but they obviously play a lot of man and if he's your slot corner playing man on slot receivers we've seen that movie before we know how it looks ideally Marcus Jones is that guy this year right so you're really talking right, about ideally it's Jonathan Jones. Right. But assuming that Jack Jones isn't available, yeah. it's gonna be Marcus Jones. And that would then allow Miles Bryant to really be like your fourth defensive back, who is more of like a dime package type of yeah. guy. Which is a better role. It's for a fine him. role for him, yeah. yeah. He also I mean he plays on special teams and all that. I, I, I wrote, you know, could he get beat out by one of the athletic rookies, Isaiah Bolden and or Mir Speed? It's possible, but right now he can't not be the favorite for that last spot. Yeah, I I agree. I I just I keep coming back to it this because I I really wanted to put one of the rookies on the roster. Oh, over of course, him. more fun that way. I really wanted to, but I couldn't do it because of this the significant amount of snaps that Miles Bryant has played in this defense. And if they don't have Jack Jones in the mix, then they really need the the experience. I think at that spot, especially with with basically a new look communication system now in the back end with Devin McCourty right gone. So they, they need guys that know the system. Moving on to safeties, Kyle Duggar. I have five safeties. I kept all five of them. Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, Jabril Peppers. I have Jalen Mills with the safeties, and I also have Joshua Bledsoe making it. Uh, so the only cut is Brad Hawkins here. We know, I think, pretty much what they're getting out of Duggar, Phillips, and Peppers. Like Those guys' roles are pretty set in stone. Does Duggar play a little bit more single high does he play a little bit more deep safety this year I think he probably does Uh, but ultimately we know that those three guys are probably going to be on this team Jalen Mills is a really interesting player to me I'm actually kind of excited is that crazy about him actually playing where he belongs yeah and like I actually think that he's going to be a really serviceable player for them and you talk about guys a guy that can play some slot uh, can like roll out wide if he needs to roll out wide. And when I say roll out wide, I mean like spin out wide, right? Like you can spin the dial on the quarterback now where like Jalen Mills can take a flat. He can take a third on the deep on the outside and play it like a corner if he ultimately has to, but you don't have to actually line him up at outside corner anymore. I, I think that he's going to be so much uh, in, in such better shape just in terms of like his actual performance on the field uh, playing safety. Uh, than playing corner but at the same time what I and this is sort of why I think he's a valuable piece if if Jack Jones's situation continues to go south he does give you depth at outside corner he is somebody that can't kick back outside so now he kind of he he essentially fills two spots for you with one player which is a nice thing to have yeah and 
they have a couple guys like that. He's probably the highlight, but I'm with you. When he signed here at first, remember we all thought it was to replace Patrick Chung? Yeah. So he's he's a fine corner, and I think he still will play boundary corner in certain matchup situations, especially if they don't have Jack Jones. Bigger cor- bigger receivers. Yeah. Right. But I, I think having – he brings an in- interesting element to the back end. Really, I'm just excited to see him cover tight ends. Yeah. Because they've struggled at covering tight ends the last few years. If there is a weakness in Kyle Duggar's game, I think it's that. I think it's man coverage on tight ends. That is an assignment Jalen Mills should be able to handle and should be able to handle at a high level, and that's going to help them out a lot. Because how many times last year did it seem like they had the receivers covered, the pass rush is getting there, and then boom, the tight end leaked out on somebody and was able to run right, wide open. That shouldn't happen with Jalen Mills in that role. It's interesting that because I agree with you that he should be almost elite at covering tight ends because he's so used to covering wide receivers. Right. And when you talk to guys about that, I remember in 19 – uh, the Patriots were playing the Eagles, and Zach Ertz was still like a problem back in nineteen. So on third down, they moved Stephon Gilmore onto Zach Ertz for just for third down. And he talked about it after the game that he actually had to slow himself down because he's so yeah. used to covering such fast guys on the outside that he had to like slow himself down to not like over pursue right on on right. Zach Ertz, and so. Mills' biggest issue is his long speed. It's always been his biggest issue. It's carrying verticals, carrying crossers da- down the field. Like, he's just not – he doesn't have this foot speed to do it. Tight ends aren't as fast as receivers, right? It's just science. So, in theory, I think that he should be a really good man coverage guy on tight ends. That frees up Kyle Duggar to now play more of that rover, like, zone-style role where he can kind of float and ball hawk and hunt the football and things like that, which I think is better for everybody, Kyle Duggar individually and the defense as a whole. I would love to see Duggar more involved in everything. Like, he could blitz more now. He could uh, play the deep part of the field more. He could play the robber role more. Uh, He could bracket more. Like, all the things that they used to do with Rodney Harris are now yeah. in play because they have somebody that well that can cover uh, modernized modernized version of what yeah. they did with Rodney yeah. Harris. I, you don't want them taking people's heads off? Is that what you're saying? I do, I, but it's a lot of penalty yards. Eh, well, it's going to be a lot of penalty yards. Someone's got to do it to Josh Allen eventually, but that's that's a separate separate conversation when we get into the we'll Bills. In a couple, we, in a couple in, months, we can have that conversation. Get into the Bills that. preview. All right, let's go specialist, and then we'll do our little AFC preview. What, oh, yeah, yeah, we just did Sage. We just did Sage. Joshua Bledsoe, do you have him on or off? Last, I, last guy on. I have him on. Too. They like him. I know they like him. Special teams, turnover, all of that. He sticks. Yeah, another guy that can play tight ends as well, I think, a little bit. All right, specialists. Uh, right now I have the rookies uh, winning. I have specialists and I have cover Jasons. I don't know if you do cover Jasons. So I, I call it specialists and special teamers. Okay, so I'll just combine them both. I have the rookies, the rookie specialists winning the jobs. I still have – Waitman was the better player in the spring. You're the punter guy, so I'm going to – now. I, I, that is so. The way I wrote this, I was not projecting the summer. I said yeah. if it were to be decided today, yeah, this is where we would be at. And Waitman's shown me more. Now yeah. it's razor thin, and there's absolutely room for that to change. <sighs> but Waitman showed me more through the spring, the, so the hang, he has the, hang the edge right now. Better. Uh, the, the hang times are better. The they were more. It's not even that they were better. They weren't better. Um, more consistent. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, Behringer had some absolute boots, but he had some absolute duds. I thought Waitman, I th- they're going to value consistency over upside. Yeah. They just want to know what they're going to get so they can go cover it. I also thought he's got the one thing that's really tough about punters, because you're the film guy and this is going to kill you. So much of it is the 
way, the kind of rotation they put on the ball when yeah. it comes off their foot, the way the spiral, where it is on the axis, all that, you really can't see that on film. No. You kind of have to see it in person and just based, you can get an idea based off how the ball rolls when it hits the ground and how guys catch it, yada, yada, yada. Right. So, like, watching Waitman last year, I didn't think his rotation was all that special, but I saw it in person, and it is. Yeah. So that there's that as well. So, again, still razor thin. Still, it's very much up for grabs. Call it 51-49, but if I had to pick somebody from the spring, I thought Waitman was better. Well, I'll give it to you. Waitman, I had Beringer just because of the draft pick, honestly. But so that's And that factors in as well. Yeah. But, you know, sixth round. I, I, so I don't really see a scenario, and I, I love Nick Folk. Nick Folk's been really solid for the Patriots. Honestly, I say this, with, again, not to be hyperbolic. Uh, Nick Folk I almost, like, saved them. At the kicker spot when yeah. Steven Guskowski retired and, and was basically washed. Like they were in really remember like Mike Nugent was here for like a week or two, right? Yeah. It, it was really bad. The Nuge. The Nuge. It was really bad. It, it, and and I give folk all the credit in the world for steadying that position. They drafted Chad Ryland in the fourth round. He looked the part in the spring to me. Has control on the ball. It certainly has a bigger leg, obviously at this stage of their careers. Yeah. I just don't really see how Folk beats out Ryland, frankly, but I will say I think that Folk could kick for another team in the league, so I, I I don't leave this door completely open because I think if they do cut him, that he's probably one of the 32 best kickers in the league and will get picked up oh, someplace yeah, else. No, he's, he's, if he, well, but then it's does he want to, right? He's thinking, right. He's been commuting from Dallas. His family's still in Dallas. He sort of has a setup here. He might tell other teams, eh, if New England wants me, they'll call me, but other than that, I'm good. It, maybe the Cowboys would be the one team, and I guess the Texans. Yeah. Could you see them keeping him on the practice squad at all just because they do funky things with kickers? If he was and- up for it, I, so I think they're going to keep – I think both punters are going to be here. Yeah. With Folk, I, I don't see why he would do that. I yeah. he Unless it's – who was – um. Remember during COVID, there were the emergency practice squad quarterbacks. They're like on the practice squad, yeah. but they were like, just stay home. Yeah. Right. We just don't want you here because we can't have you getting exposed. Yeah. That that's where it's at for me. It's like if Folk was like, yeah, all right. If you don't want to lose me, sign me to the practice squad. But, you know, I'll stay in shape down here in Dallas. I, I don't see w- what's in that for him. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Uh, in terms of the, the coverage aces, as I call them, obviously Slater. Yeah. Slater. Obviously Brandon Schooler, yeah. I think is obviously. And then I have Jordan Helick as the last spot right now, they really like this kid. Like they were really working with him in the spring. Uh, he was like typical Patriot UDFA signing or he wasn't on anybody else's radar except the Patriots. And they pick up this kid. Now I think they really like Demarcus Mitchell as well. So I think that that's a, a, a true. So I have both on battle. You have both on. Yeah. So the, my cut was Raleigh Webb. I, I also have Raleigh Webb. Right. I, I, I think they find a way to keep all four Slater schooler, Mitchell and Helig. Okay, and then the other guy is Cody Davis, but I, yeah. he wasn't totally healthy this spring. And right, that's why. I, so I have Cody Davis currently off, but I think so. He is definitely a vested veteran, so he doesn't go through waivers. Right. So my guess is is that Cody Davis will be here on the practice squad, and my just hedging that, I would say he probably gets elevated game day elevation, and he's active week one against the Eagles if he's healthy. Yeah. Uh, but I I think that he gets cut initially i also just wonder if he's healthy that's yeah. the other part of it like yeah does he that open a, the season on that PUP? was a really bad knee injury yeah it was really significant does, yeah. like i could see him opening the year on pup and then they get what's it's what six weeks i need to remind myself of all this like i take a day yeah. before camp yeah, every year weeks. 
you know, does he open on PUP? And because he does he need camp? Like he knows what he's doing. No. So I think the the tough part was is that their special teams, their protection units did take a hit without right. Cody Davis. They got much worse. Right after Cody. But did. I I I think that's beyond Cody Davis. Yeah. That's the point. And they've brought in a guy like Jordan Healy. They brought in a guy like Chris, Chris Board. Board. Yeah. Uh, guys like that where Cody Shit Davis pup for six weeks and then all right we'll see where we're at then maybe somebody gets hurt or maybe just the unit's not good and we need to bring you back then but i yeah it's tough there's so many ways to keep him without putting him on the week one roster that and i don't think they risk losing him that i don't think they need to necessarily keep him okay so there's our roster projections uh my last three off like my my yeah. my 54 55 and 56 were anthony jennings uh malik cunningham and Anthony oh, Ferksker. Wow. You, wow, you had Cunningham close. I had Cunningham pretty close. I did. So my last three, all on defense. Actually, all six of mine, well, five are on defense. Uh, my my last three off were Lawrence Guy, yep. Mac Wilson, and Isaiah Bolden. Interesting. Those yeah. were 50, uh, 54, 55, and 56. And then my last three on were Jordan Helig, Anthony Jennings, and Joshua Bledsoe. So I think you're going to end up being... Right about Anthony Jennings, he'll make the team. I didn't realize how many snaps he played Look last it up year. Next time. Well, I I just go off. Of, you know me. I just I go off of what I see on the film, and like it just when you are literally non-existent in my brain, I it, I check out. Okay, so that's that's how that goes. Three hundred fifty snaps. It's a lot of snaps. That's a lot more than I would have thought. If yeah. you would ask the average, oh, it's three forty nine. If to you, be fair. oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't give him that. I'll, extra I'll give snap. you that. Oh, three forty three. If you at you gave him seven extra snaps. Come on, man. If you ask the average Patriots fan how many snaps Anthony Jennings played last year, over under ten. It's twenty one a game. Do you think that they would have, they had any clue he played that much? Uh fans that, that know their stuff would. <laughs> Say that. It's a fair it's fair. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't feel I feel like you'll be right about that. I'll give you that. I think one of the, I have I was too heavy on the offensive line. I think ten. Uh, I had ten think, offensive linemen too. It's a lot. I think it's too many. I think they'll have, be at eight or nine, and Anthony Jennings will be on the team. All right. Do you want to quickly do uh, our finish up our AFC East previews because I don't want to sure. spend too much time on this next week uh, because we we want to preview training camp and stuff. But uh, quick, let's start with the Jets. Let's start with the Jets. The Jets on paper. Is it crazy? Is this? Is it crazy to say that the Jets roster on paper is actually the best roster in the division? No, it is. It, it is, but it's so, like, Madden ratings it is, but it's so boomer bust, and yeah. it starts with the quarterback. Are they going to get an engaged Aaron Rodgers, like an FU to the world Aaron Rodgers, or are they going to get a guy that's checked out like he was in Green Bay? And I know people think, oh, well, he's in New York, he's got a new team, he's got reason to care. What if they lose their first couple games, which right. isn't unrealistic? So we're hinging. See, here's the thing. The reason why I said that is because these two teams we're doing today, the Jets and the Bills, I think the Bills roster has more holes in it than it's had in recent years. I do. And I'll, we can get to like where those holes are, but I think those holes exist in Buffalo a little bit more than they have in the past couple years. I think the Jets roster is better than the Bills. Yeah, I, I do. would agree with that. And I agree with you that the that the whole thing hinges on Aaron Rodgers. Like if Aaron Rodgers is MVP or Aaron Rodgers, then they're a Super Bowl contender. The Bills are definitively better than the Jets at two positions. Tight end and wide receiver. That's it. Yeah. Do you think they're better at wide receiver? I mean, the Bills, the Jets don't have anybody that touches Stephon Diggs. Garrett Wilson's 
not a bad player. Yeah, Stephon Diggs is. I, I agree elite. with you that Stephon the Jets. I'm not saying the Jets are bad at wide receiver. They've got a good group. They do have, a good but group. I like, and they they have more depth. Yeah, they have more depth. But it, Diggs is you. I mean, you know my take on Diggs. Yeah, is that Diggs is the reason Josh Allen is who Diggs is a massive reason Josh Allen He's is a good who he player. is. So he is getting older though, and he is getting that's true. And he is getting you know what? We can revisit this one. You know what? That's a, we can revisit. This I, I one. like. I don't know why. I'm, you know I'm like the biggest Stephon Diggs fan. No, but you, I, I you know what? You, guy, but I said definitively. Clearly, it's not definitive. All right. I so the Bills have definitive. one position over the Jets. Tight end. Yeah. And I just remember the and, Jets got Zach Kuntz, so maybe and, not. And, well, in Conklin, Jack Conklin's like not a bad tight end. He's just not. He's fine. I, I, he's I, not dynamic. I like Dawson Knox. I, I think Dawson and, well, Knox is and, a good player. And I don't know, depending on where you uh, put, oh, God damn it, the, um, Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid. Well, apparently yeah. he's a slot receiver. This, so, so this is where they're at in Buffalo. They are legitimately arguing about this point. Is is Dalton Kincaid a tight end or a slot I receiver? To be fair, we're kind of doing that with Marte Mapu. Or else, uh, yeah, but like I guess okay. But but the Patriots drafted Marte Mapu to play Marte Mapu's role. The the Bills in a draft great with slot receivers needing a slot receiver drafted a tight end to, to play, play slot, slot receiver. receiver. It's like the Jags with Travis Etienne. Yeah. The we're, mystery we're box supposed, could be anything. We're it could even be, be a boat. We're supposed to be doing the Jets. Let's get to the okay. Bills in a second because I know we both have takes on the Bills. So here's my like because we have to play this game as a Patriot. Uh, podcast like here is my holes for the Jets like where could it fall apart obviously the biggest one is Aaron Rodgers like Aaron Rodgers is the biggest one if he is not locked in if he's washed even like I'll say it like if he's washed then maybe that doesn't look as good as it possibly could I think the other hole from a roster construction standpoint because defensively they're loaded at all three levels they are yeah they're a great defense uh from a roster construction standpoint their offensive line is still a little bit questionable. Yeah. Like, I have no idea if Mekhi Becton's going to – he's like their Trent Brown. Like, you just don't know if he's going to have – if what's his weight going to be like, what's his health going to be like, what's his focus going to be like. Like, you just don't know any of those things. And they're still really counting on Mekhi Becton being a starting caliber tackle for them this year. They're thin at, along the tackle spots, certainly. Like, they're in a similar boat as the Patriots where they're just kind of – throwing bodies at it and hoping that something sticks by the end of the year. So if you're the Patriots and you're playing the Jets, I still think what you hope is that your defensive front can take over against that offensive line and the pressure can get to Aaron Rodgers. Like, I still think that that's that's the game plan. That's the hope. Um, The other thing is they hired Nathaniel Hackett as their offensive coordinator. And – I understand that head coach and offensive coordinator are two very, very different jobs, right? And I get that Nathaniel Hackett failed in Denver as a head coach and not a coordinator. But outside of the Patriots, I think Denver was the elite, the worst coordinated offense in the league last year. And they had a real offensive coordinator, a real offensive coach. It wasn't like they put somebody where he didn't belong and it right. failed, right? So that still, I think, is a big, in my mind, a big wild card. Now, Aaron Rodgers might trumpet and Aaron Rodgers might just make it good enough but Bill versus Nathaniel Hackett is still a major mismatch a major major mismatch so I I think that's something that you can a feather you can put in the Patriots cap Uh, defensively for the the Jets really 
terrific, honestly, at all three levels. You got Quinton Williams, C.J. Mosley, Sauce Gardner, like your three pillars on that side of the football. I guess maybe if you really, again, want to talk yourself into the Jets falling apart, Mosley's starting to get up there a little bit in terms of off-ball linebackers. Like, you think of Keekly, you think of Bowman. Like, some, those guys have retired early, well, you know, historically, and he's yeah. he's somebody that's logged a ton of snaps over the years in Buffalo or in Baltimore, excuse me. And also obviously with the jets, but they have a lot of really good players on that defense. And once in uh, for all Quinton Williams, like that's, I think a huge, huge X factor for the Patriots. Like he got Cole strange benched last year. Yeah. He ate Cole strange alive, uh, huff off the edge to, uh, I like John Franklin Myers. John Franklin Myers is sort of there like Dietrich wise, Swiss army knife. end. Uh, they also have, um, Jermaine Johnson from Florida state yeah. who they drafted. And then they just drafted Will McDonald. Now they drafted Will McDonald early. Like we all agree on that because well, they panicked. Sure. Uh, but he's like a, he, I think he's going to be like a Josh Uche type where he's going to have a role and rotate in on passing downs and things yeah. like that. So uh, the Jets defense is loaded. It's going to be interesting though, because it is a, the last thing, you know, about the Jets defense, it's a system defense. It's not a game plan defense. Really. Uh, they play that Seattle, the new age Seattle three. I don't even know what to call it. It's a new age Seattle three. They play a little bit more too high than Seattle did in the yeah. Legion of Boom days. But they play that zone-style defense, that match zone, the three, the Mabel, that type of stuff. And Bill O'Brien's going to know what's coming. Like, it's just going to be a matter of executing. And do we have the players, you know, do the Patriots have the horses to to beat a Sauce Gardner, to beat a, a – who's the other quarter they have? May, right? No, that's the same thing. No, beat. it's uh, – um, I should have pulled this up. But that's yeah, my fault. short guy. Uh, yeah, I, I have the name on the tip of my tongue. But that's going to be the – the issue I think for them is how do they keep that system fresh? How do they keep that system? Uh, f- how do they keep teams guessing against that system? Because DJ Reed, DJ Reed, yeah, he's a good player, by yeah. the way. Uh, that that's going to be a question with them. But th- I, as currently constituted, I'm not like as afraid of Aaron Rodgers as I am still of the Jets defense. Like I don't know how the Patriots score on this on this Jets defense with any regularity. And Aaron Rodgers is going to probably put 20 to 24 points on you. You got forced turnovers. That's how they beat them in the past. Yeah. And they can do that against Rodgers. Not a lot of teams can, but Belichick has seemingly always gotten Rodgers turned the ball over. So He did. He got Jack, Jack Jones Jack pick Jones. six. Yeah. yeah, big play in that game. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Buffalo Bills. This is Alex's favorite team in the NFL, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, favorite, favorite team to rag They on. were when Drew Bledsoe was there. They were my second favorite team. So... Here's the thing with the Buffalo Bills. You're going to hate this take, but I'm going to say it anyways. I think the Buffalo Bills are contenders as long as Josh Allen is healthy. I think he makes them contenders. But at the same time, I do think that this roster that in Buffalo is as vulnerable as it's been for basically since like the COVID year. Yeah. Like last three years, they've been loaded on both sides of the football. I still don't really know, and maybe it's Dalton Kincaid, and we just mentioned the joke of, you know, they drafted a tight end to play slot receiver instead of a slot receiver. But they're really hoping that Dalton Kincaid is going to emerge as the number two pass catcher and control the middle of the field. And then Stephon Diggs is obviously going to beat Stephon Diggs. I can't say that the Patriots are, you know, the Patriots still haven't stopped Buffalo in a real game. Yeah. So I can't sit here and say that they're going to magically do it now. But outside of Stephon Diggs and, you know, with Dalton Kincaid, we'll see. Like I wasn't as high on Dalton Kincaid as as a lot of other people were. I, I were I don't rem- fully remember where you stood on Dalton Kincaid in eh. the draft. He was I thought he was a little overrated. In I the thought draft. so too. Yeah, 
So we'll see what he ends up being. We probably will both be wrong about that, and he'll be a good player. But we'll see. I think that outside of Stephon Diggs, they still have a little bit of a receiver problem. Like, I don't know who... No one really scares me. I think you. including Stephon Diggs, they have a receiver problem. Well, well they have a Stephon reasons. Diggs problem, yeah. and then they have a wide receiver depth problem. But yeah. Yeah. They, Gabe Davis never took that next jump that he was supposed to take. Oh, sh- Gabe Davis... Look, nothing against um, Crave on the Blanc. I like Crave on the Blanc. But Gabe Davis beat up on Crave on the Blanc, and they thought that he was the second coming of Justin Jefferson. That's right. And that just was never going to be a thing. So you're right. The Bills roster is as vulnerable as it's been. I think their window closed last year. Stefan Diggs is now over 30. Josh Allen's extension is kicked in. I know the whole thing about how the salary cap can be maneuvered. They've done a lot of maneuvering. Yeah. And it's have. put them in a tough spot. One thing I, I don't think has been talked about enough with them, their pass rush, really their whole defense, when they lost Von Miller last year, Everything changed. Yeah. Everything changed for them. And I they signed who who did they sign? Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd a couple weeks ago. He's not Von Miller. And is Von Miller even going to be Von Miller? And the fact they signed Leonard Floyd leads me to believe this is a guy who's over 30 trying to come back from a torn ACL. Yeah. That is a mass I was, I, I think they should have taken a pass rush in the first round. That is a massive blow to their defense. Whatever is going on with Stephon Diggs, who knows? And they still well, have. If you ask Josh Allen, it was media fabrication. But all right. Well, if you ask the coach, it was seriously concerning. Yeah. Which when's the last time you heard a coach talk like that? I'm going to take the coach having the slip of the tongue over anything else. Speaking of the coach, he still can't win a big game. I love this. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? When's the last time Sean McDermott won a big game? No, you're you're not wrong. And the other, there is still this overarching question about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills of. Where is the tipping point of how much you can run him? Because he's at his most effective when he's a regular running threat, but if you overdo it, he gets banged up. And as the years go on, the running's only going to take more and more of a toll on him. We saw it last year. So So last year— And that's a big conversation again this offseason in Buffalo is— Josh Allen needs to run less. Their GM came out and said that he needs to run less. But I think that they believe— that there is this magic number of like carries that we're maximizing his running, but he won't get hurt. And they think that if they can just find that number, he's going to be unstoppable. I don't think that exists because you saw it last year. He hurt his elbow. They ramped his carries down. Team started just dropping back into coverage like they did to him early in his career and daring him to run the ball when he wouldn't do it. And he couldn't make any of the throws and then he runs too much and he gets hurt. So I just this are the Bills going to win ten games? Yes, I'm not sitting here saying they're screwed. Yeah, but this is a question that they can't answer. Brian Dayball got close. I don't think it's Van Pelt, right? Is the OC? No, it's uh, Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey. It was one of the early 2000s Bills backup quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. It's Ken Dorsey. Uh, Dorsey doesn't have the answer. If if Dayball didn't get it, I don't know who's getting it because yeah. I don't think that number exists because it's the NFL. One carry can get you hurt. It's not like, okay, his body can absorb eight carries a game, so that's what we're giving him. All it takes is one big shot, and he still doesn't slide. He still doesn't go out of bounds. Maybe if he starts doing that, that helps, but he's still going to have to take hits, and that is the reason they can't win a big game. That is the reason they can't win in the playoffs. Well, that and they're afraid of bad weather. Soft-ass team up there in Buffalo. We want a roof on our stadium. We have one of the well, best home field not, advantages, but we don't care. They're not getting a roof. Josh so. Allen will totally still be here by the time the new stadium is built. <laughs> the point being, 
the point being that I, I don't think that number exists. And until the Bills can solve that problem, and I don't know that it's a problem that can be solved, Here's maybe they're a contender. Yeah, but they're never going. I, I I won't be able to take them seriously as like a true Super Bowl favorite. Okay, so here's the here's the problem with the Bills in in, in my terms that I think is in the same on the same track as yours. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with the Bills is that the Bills have no way of remember when the Patriots we talk about it all the time. The the Patriots would just win games by taking care of business. Right, they would just show up. They would play a polished, well-rounded football game. They wouldn't overexert themselves. They wouldn't overexert Brady. They wouldn't like try to hang 50 on you, but they would just win like 31-14 and ho-hum, we'll see you next week. And even though that's not the bottom line in the playoffs, in order to like get Josh Allen to be at the peak when he hits the playoffs, they don't have anything in Buffalo. I shouldn't say they don't have anything. They don't currently at a high enough level have like a layup well, in but, their but, offense because Josh Allen can't play a safe game. But it's not just that. I think what the bigger thing is is like they don't have a they don't have a layup, right? right. They don't have a layup. They have three pointers. They're they're like they're like the NBA of the NFL, right? Where like when they come down on to the Celtics, like when they come down on you rating threes, and it's like you know they hit twenty five threes, they're gonna beat you by thirty points, right? But what they don't have is they don't have the consistent half court offense. They don't just have that ability to just like this is what we except go against to. the Patriots for some reason, right? They can do it against the Patriots, but nobody else, right? But this is what we go to. This is our stuff. This is what we're gonna run, and we're gonna matriculate the ball down the field, and we're gonna score points on you and we're going to shorten the game and do all that stuff that some weeks and some games and some opponents in the playoffs like that's just how you have to win and I think it's twofold one mainly it's Josh Allen right like his playing style just lends itself to to being hero ball like the league and turnovers that's just the way he plays and b they don't really have a traditional running game they don't have like a, a hand the ball off, turn around and hand the ball off running game. They don't have it. And they don't have the pay as a result, they don't have the play action sequencing off of that. Right. Right. So that's like how a lot of teams survive on early downs. The Bills don't really survive that way on early downs. The Bills survive on early downs by throwing the freaking rock. Like just just blitzing you. Literally on offense. And just trying to score forty five and getting out of there in, in that respect. So until they find something that's consistent, that's not volatile, that's not uh turnover prone and they can just kind of hit you with it consistently uh, they are going to be a, a team that's either going to win by 30 or lose big like they did against the Bengals, right and right. there's no in between so if you're but i can't you can't trust those teams you can't trust them and they signed damian harris this offseason yeah and the reason why i bring it up because they signed damian harris they drafted james cook was that last year last year i do think that they recognize it but schematically and and in terms of their personnel on their offensive line, they have not been good enough without Josh Allen's legs being a factor. If they run read option, they can run the football. Right. But that means that his legs are a factor. That means that he's in the run play. Because every team's going to take away Damian Harris and force him to keep it. Right. There's no traditional run game in Buffalo. And that also doesn't lend itself to your point about the weather. Like when it gets cold and when it gets snowy up in Buffalo, like it did, did against Cincinnati, even Miami, they have no running game. So the Bills are in a really weird spot because their offense is still good. Don't get me wrong; like they're still oh, a, a like top said, five. They're still going to win 10, 12 games. They're still a great offense. Josh Allen is still an MVP caliber quarterback. But Ooh. I think 
He is. But what what led the league in turnovers? What they're learning in Buffalo is that that's like step one. Like now they have to be a championship team, right? And but I, is it too like I feel like the time for them to learn that lesson was last year. Because again, Allen yeah. now has this elbow problem, and he's another year older. Diggs is now thirty. You've got extensions kicking in. There's not a ton of room to build up. Like, there's no more. Oh, Josh Allen's on an affordable deal. We're going to start putting pieces around him. The money's all been spent. This is the team. It's just wild because they are so good offensively. So I don't want to like be like acting like they're like this terrible offense. They're so good offensively, but analytically, like the metrics also back up like sort of your feelings on it. Is just like it's literally all boomer bust. It's he's either hitting a sixty yard bomb to digs like he did against yeah. the Patriots last year to basically put that game on ice or he's throwing a pick and there's it's like no in between sustainable that's what I that's what I've said since day one about Josh Allen it's not sustainable it's not replicatable yeah he has flashes where he's great but you can't you can't set your watch to it you can't count on it yeah. for except for whatever reason against the Patriots <laughs> against 30 teams in the NFL they need to go 80 yards in 12 plays to ice the game. Can't do it. He'll throw a pick. Against the Patriots? I don't know. He doesn't. It's weird. But against every other, like, that's the thing he can't do. So that's why the Bills need to get, if they get up big early, which they can do because they're really good, they can play from ahead. But don't you dare ask the Buffalo Bills to win a close game because they can't do it because they don't have that ability to be up four points and run the clock out. They don't. It, they really, it, it costs. Them. I know Coward already made the comparison of the Celtics and the Bills, but they really are the Celtics of the NFL. I mean, I was saying they were the Sixers. I think they're the Celtics. But they, they're the Celtics. Celtics. So uh, last thing on the but, Bills, but Celtics went to an NBA Finals. Celtics at least got there. Uh, last thing on the Bills before we wrap. But also Joel Embiid won an MVP, so maybe they're not the Sixers either. No Tremaine Edmonds anymore. Right in Buffalo. Uh, that I think defensively they still have the rest of their defense intact. You know the the two safeties Hyde and Poyer, uh, Matt Milano. Still Those there. guys get hurt a lot. Uh, they signed a, Ed Oliver to a big extension, uh, so they still have a, like nine tenths, nine elevenths yeah. of their pieces right. And now Kyer Ilum is supposed to step up and, and play a regular corner role uh, to kind of solidify that spot, which was a little bit shaky last year at times. I I'm interested to see how this works out with No Tremaine Edmonds though at the second level for them because they had a they had a great thing going with Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, and they kind of let each other thrive and let each other you know bring out the best in one another. So how does Milano look now that he's the only guy there? How does the whole thing look without Tremaine Edmonds? I think is a factor as well, but. Uh, Benjamin Solak on the the Ringer, who I like a lot. He uh, he wrote a great article. I think it was in right maybe right after the Bengals playoff game last year, or, or going into the playoffs about Buffalo's offense. And that people should kind of it, it goes into more detail about what we're sort of talking about about the vol- volatility of the Buffalo offense. And it's it's really interesting. It just they just do not have consistent stuff, but they can also just come out and out of the gate and just overwhelm you with talent and with with Josh Allen and and just be up 30 at a blink of an eye uh, but when they get into those like grinded out type of football games like you mentioned Alex uh, yeah. they they don't have consistent stuff Right. So we'll see if that changes uh, this year with Dorsey. Uh, we'll be back next week and put a bow on this show uh, for our training camp preview because I'm out the following week. But we have a, a plan in place maybe to do something the following week, even though I won't be here. I'll be on Martha's Vineyard with a nice uh, week off before uh, training camp. But we'll be back next week to do our full training camp preview. Uh, but until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening and watching, everybody, and we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.